This episode of The Matt Townsend Show was recorded previously. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. I'm your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. You ready for uh, another day? It's not easy, is it? But this is Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday. La, 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 day. Um, this is going to be a great show. Man alive. Have we got a lot to talk about today. Remember, this is the show where we try to give you the tools, the insight you need into what's going on in your world. Normally, a news show, you might get a two-minute story on some of the big news issues. We go a little deeper, 35 minutes or so, to talk about... Everything you need to know. Now, Trump, Donald Trump, been in the news like crazy, right? In fact, uh, did you know that he has a new book coming out? The day of the debate, he will be launching a new book called Time to Get Tough, as if Donald needs to get tougher. He's out there uh, throwing, you know, throwing his weight around, and a lot of people feel like he's a bully. And if you look in the eyes of the 15 other GOP candidates that have to face him in debates, you can see the eyes of very scared people, terrified to have to face the Trumpster. On the show today, Dr. Stephen Albrecht will be joining us, and he um, he's an expert in bullying and uh, in workplace violence and dealing with difficult people in the workplace. Today he's going to be talking to us about what he calls the Trump effect and um, how Trump may be symbolizing for some, you know, a bully. We've all experienced a bully somewhere, either, you know, out on the playground or maybe in the boardroom. And uh, Dr. Steve Albrecht will be joining us talking about that, workplace bullies. Holy cow. I've got to thank Kathy for a really incredible 24 hours. Are you loving it? Uh, it's interesting. So Kathy's son hooked me up with a car to, to test drive. And? I love it. It's fantastic. But I realized... <laughs> I knew there was a but. I just realized what a horrible driver I am. Uh-oh. Because this is a car that basically does everything for you. Mm-hmm. In fact, it made me breakfast. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> and uh, it's like, please reach in the glove compartment. <laughs> and I pulled out a breakfast Hot Pocket. It was yummy. <laughs> But uh, so this car, we won't mention names, uh, but it is a Bugatti. It's a very expensive car. And um, but it it makes sure that I change lanes appropriately. Mm -hmm. It makes sure that I I can set it so I don't run into the car in front of me. In fact, I was in bumper to bumper traffic and it would just move my car. And then it would when the traffic moved, my car would move, and it would stop, and my car would move, and it would stop. It's brilliant. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. And then what else did it do? Oh, it. I have blind spots. I mean, a lot of people don't know that. Everybody has blind spots, and this car is telling me about when a car is in my blind spot. Mm-hmm. It does everything, and it. I was neurotic driving to work today. <laughs> you're afraid you're going to get in an accident. Well, I'm just realizing I'm a horrible driver. Because the alarms, all, the all these alarms off. are going off the entire drive. It's incredible. We always talk about the cars that are self-driving. Mm-hmm. This is a self-driving car. I could sleep 
all the way to work. I was wondering if you were going to do that this morning. I was getting nervous. Oh. I was actually looking to make sure you weren't near me uh-huh. when I was driving. Yeah. In. I passed you twice. Is <laughs> the weirdest thing. Oh, that is weird. But it it is it is really cool. I I wow. It's my kids even liked it. It's got a the whole roof is a sunroof. Oh, isn't that gorgeous? I love that panoramic. And especially panoramic with the blue moon. Yes, we we're so going to talk about. We that. just went out in the car last night and just sat. Just and opened that up. We, yeah, we just sat there all night, <laughs> just looking. My kids are like, can we go to bed? No. <laughs> Let's go one more time on the freeway. I want to show you how I almost hit this car, but I don't. Anyway, it's so cool. Do I try, my son treats you well. He's incredible. By the way, good-looking boy. Yeah, he's a I looker. Know, we need to find him. If a wife. anybody is looking for a ruggedly good-looking, he looks like a supermodel, a male supermodel. Mm-hmm. He's very handsome. Uh. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to get him married off, which I think is why he doesn't call me as much anymore because I, I I nag him. Yeah, but if if you if you're looking, how old is he? Twenty four. Twenty four year old. I mean, really good-looking guy. Mm-hmm. Just give us a call. One eight five five. Four two two. It's actually one eight five five chat. Shoot me over this one for sure. But he he really is a good looking guy, and he totally took care of me. He set everything up in the car for me. Yep, gassed it up for you. Gassed it up. Yeah. Holy cow! One problem. Yeah. I forgot my wallet in my other car. (laughs) Don't tell anybody. Uh I'm driving without a wallet. Uh oh. I better call him and make sure we get you that. Yeah, I didn't realize it until I was like in line to get food at our drive (laughs) through. Great. I thought it made you breakfast. You didn't have to pay. Oh, great point. It doesn't do lunch. It's <laughs> oh, the worst lunch. car that way. Okay. Honestly, our cars are crazy cool. That's Isn't awesome. Amazing? Yeah. I, I you know Now me, I'm in a the, quandary. The favorite thing to me and it, that you talked about, I bought another car and mm-hmm. it does not have backup camera. And the one that I traded in is similar to yours. It did have backup yes. camera. I miss that terribly. The backup camera is oh, huge. It is huge. You know what? I even found it's like myself. I have to look now? Yeah. Now you got to look like over your shoulder. Do you remember the old days when you look over the shoulder? <laughs> yeah. I actually drove around my entire neighborhood backwards using the backwards camera, which I think sweet? it defeats the purpose. <laughs> but, I mean, just the clarity. I yeah. also realized my driveway's got some cracks in it. Yeah. That helps show things. And the nice thing, too, is when you have to parallel park, you know, you help so you don't mess oh, up your rims. Oh, my heavens. Yeah. I didn't even try really that. Nice. I'm yeah. going to try that yeah. today. <laughs> That's your next thing. There's all this stuff I'm trying. I mean, I took it off road last night. We oh, probably shouldn't say we went that. Four wheeling. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably not meant for that. <laughs> yeah, it's not. That's awesome. I, I don't know what to do now because I really like it, but I've got other questions. Mm-hmm. I'll answer them for you. Just I know. Ask him. Yeah. No pressure. Do you think they'd let me just borrow the car for like a couple more months? I think so. Yeah. Sweet. I even met the dealer owner. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. He's a great guy. Blake. Yep, very good guy. Great guy. Yep. Anyway, I'm more not going to tell you the brand, but the brand, a Bugatti. <laughs> it's like zero to 60 in a second. Amazing. And you have to wear a cervical collar. Uh, let's go check out the headlines, see what's going on there, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. The part of an airplane wing that washed up on a remote island in the Indian Ocean has the serial number that, that officials say belonged to a Boeing 777 aircraft. French authorities are sending the piece to southern France for analysis, and it could arrive as early as tomorrow. Beach cleaners are handing over anything they find to the investigators. Even if the debris is confirmed to be from the missing Malaysian airline flight, there's no guarantee investigators could find what they really need. That's the vital black box recorders. The University of Cincinnati policeman who was indicted on murder charges this week has pleaded not guilty. County prosecutors say uh, Ray Tenzing killed Samuel Dubow 
After losing his temper during a traffic stop, Tenzing was released on bond last night and his next court date is scheduled for August 19th. Zimbabwe officials are asking the United States to extradite Walter Palmer, the man who admitted to killing Cecil the Lion. U.S. officials have also launched an investigating investigation into the hunt that Palmer thought was done legally. Here's Nick Pinizzotto, CEO of pro hunting group Sportsman Alliance. You see many people putting the lives of human beings behind the lives of animals, and that's a scary proposition for anybody. According to a British newspaper, one of Palmer's guides who was charged with poaching said Palmer also wanted to shoot a large elephant but was told they couldn't find one. The Minnesota dentist hasn't been seen publicly since the controversy erupted. Beijing was announced this morning as the site for the new 2022 Winter Olympic Games. The Chinese capital is the first ever chosen to host both a Winter and Summer Olympics. The Summer Games were played there in 2008. Some activists aren't happy with the Beijing selection, citing China's poor history on human rights. Blue moon, you saw me standing alone. And Matt, did you notice Without that beautiful blue moon I with did. your panoramic sunroof open <laughs> this totally morning did. as you're driving away in? Mine so, wasn't blue. I know. That's what they're saying. It's not blue. Yeah. It's only blue if there's volcanic ash in the air, which, I mean, how often does that happen? <laughs> Thankfully not So often. a blue moon happens only about every two and a half years because the lunar year and the calendar year don't quite match up. The last blue moon was in August of 2012, and the next one won't occur until January of 2018. Mm. So, yeah, this was very rare. Nice to see. And who was singing that song, by the way? Uh, Sinatra. Very Franklin good. Franklin yes. Delano's. I don't know his yeah. name. We were uh, looking up, and we found one from Elvis Presley. And, yeah, well, that wasn't one of my favorites. Wasn't so, it? yeah, we picked Frank. Um, Frank's a good pick. Very Always good pick. go with Frank. Always. You can never you can never go wrong with Frank Sinatra. And I'll never forget my fa- my grandfather's funeral, Frank Sinatra's version of um, I Did It My Way. Really? That was at that my was grandpa's funeral. That was played at your grandpa's funeral. Hmm. And I'm like, Is I, he from I, New York? No. Hmm. He just did it his way. He just did it his way. Okay. Isn't that the blue moon? That's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. It's even it beautiful. It's even better Like when you're driving. You can look out your sunroof. Your moon roof, uh-huh. and you can just lean. I just laid my seat back, mm-hmm. and put on just, cruise control. That yeah, you put know, on a little Frank Sinatra, you and you didn't have to pay attention and hit the freeway. That was great. Good well, living. I'm so glad you liked the car. I loved it. I really don't know what to do now. And then my son, I'm like, well, son, so I'm going to give you my car, and I'm going to go buy a car. And he's like, well, I'm fine driving this truck. I have a truck that's twenty five dollars. Oh, it's sweet. Yeah. And I'm like, really? He's like, oh yeah, I love the truck. There's so, your answer. Well, I'm like, so maybe I don't need to buy a car. <laughs> but <laughs> I just fell in, in love with this in. other I should. Yeah, come on. You've got the dough. I'm loaded. I know. Loaded. Well, and you so. guys are all buying cars, so I just thought maybe I'll join in. Yeah. It's just not fair. I want to ride. Thanks, Kathy. Good stuff. Hey, uh, you know, Donald Trump, he he's made an impact, hasn't he? And you know what? If you If you just compare his latest interviews... To his early interviews about a week or two ago, he seems a little nicer now. He's now got this big lead he's trying to take care of, but he's also realized, I guess I can just bully people around a little bit. So joining us in just a few minutes, Dr. Steve Albrecht will be joining us. He is uh, basically saying that there is a state, uh, uh, something he's calling the Trump effect, which is a version of bullying, workplace bullying, and he's going to be talking to all of us about how to identify a bully and what you should do if you work with somebody that, you know, is offensive, that calls you names, that is too intense.
that throws out a lot of, uh, you know, rude comments. We'll be talking with Dr. Steve Albrecht about the Trump effect and workplace bullying up next. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This episode of the Matt Townsend Show was recorded previously. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in the last few weeks, the news has been full of the bombastic antics of Donald Trump, who has responded to critics with bullying antics like name-calling, public disclosure of Senator Lindsey Graham's cell phone. Do you remember that? We call that doxing. Yep. And uh, Trump also called his opponents, if you remember, and all of his critics, losers, lightweights, and idiots. In fact, you remember he even took down an NBC reporter, just humiliated her. And uh, instead of acknowledging his mistakes and overreaching comments, a lot of times he ends up doubling down with a more, even more combative tone. Um, And this behavior, you know, it's similar to what you might see in uh, an office bully. And so today we're joined by Dr. Steve Albrecht who is an expert in workplace and school violence and um, prevention. He also has coined a certain version of this this pattern of bullying, the Trump effect. Wanted to find out about that. Dr. Steve Albrecht, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. How are you? You bet. Great to have you. Talk about, uh, describe what you call the Trump effect. Well, you, you hit it on the head. Look at a guy who's really over the top in terms of his comments, and he doesn't apologize for it. It's interesting to look at bullying as a phenomenon in organizations. It's not illegal in any of the 50 states. Many people have been exposed to that kind of behavior by bosses, by coworkers, by vendors, by customers, and they're really struck as what to do. Oh, I mean, and there's something – but the interesting thing is he's getting – his polls are going up, so it probably emboldens the bully. Yeah, there, there's some empowering there going on. And also for a guy like Trump, who, who feeds off of that kind of energy and has done so for his entire career, he doesn't see it as wrong. But you yeah. know, most people, as you've described, look at it and say, you know, I wouldn't want to put up with that if that guy was doing it to me. And certainly in the national political arena, it's good news. But how long is that going to that last for a guy like that? It's, most people find it off-putting after a while. Yeah, right. And it seems like I mean, Trump is just kind of the symbol of it publicly right now. But this is going on in every office across the country, right? And and schools and everywhere. Yeah, you look at, at it starts at the schools, and and you know a lot of schools have programs, anti-bullying programs. How effective they are is hard to hard to decide because kids are still afraid to tell their teachers or their parents as to what's going on. Uh, in organizations, I hear a lot of stories about it where where people are afraid to go to work because of their boss, because of coworkers. It's threatening behavior. It, it's it's angry behavior. It's it's confrontive. It's demeaning. And a lot of folks uh, feel stuck as to what to do. They go to their human resources people or they go to another boss to try to get some help. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Mm. And um, you, was it your dad that, that talked to you about the ballistic? What was that called? It was the best line ballistic ever. Podiatry, yeah. Ballistic, ballistic podiatry, shooting yourself in the foot. <laughs> yeah, ballistic podiatry. But he because the funny thing about being the bully is he's got all this bravado, but a lot of, but almost every time he goes off as a bully, there's this recoil from the from the press corps. And so he, he's hurting himself, but he's also, I guess, gaining power. Is that the pattern? 
Yeah, there's not a lot of consequences for Trump's behavior right now. And so the more he does it, the more people seem to like it. So he just doubles down on, on the activity. And, you know, a lot of attention-getting behavior from, from bullies really comes from, you know, a mask of low self-esteem. They'll never admit to that publicly, of course. Right. But, you know, they, they feel bad about what they do. Sometimes they have insight into it. Sometimes they don't. I don't get a sense Trump has a lot of insight into what he's doing because it's worked for him for his entire career. Well, and I guess, too, you, you'll you see the bully, the, a sign of low self-esteem is the need to constantly cite your strengths. I'm rich. I'm powerful. Look at my polls. But in the in the workplace, y- there are certain phrases that I know you've pointed out that are signs that you might have – uh, a bully trying to make excuses for why they're being so so strong and brazen. Um, some of those are like we're too politically correct around here. If everybody, if somebody's complaining about, we're just you know we're too politically correct or we're all getting too soft. That's why we need this harder person. Yeah, I get the phrase. You know, I'm old school. I've been here a long time. I'm entitled to say what I want. And you know, I do agree. I mean, in training classes, I tell people you have the right to say what you want at work, but that doesn't mean there won't be consequences for it. Mm. And so I always look try to teach people about boundaries and and you know two pedals gas pedal or brake and a lot of times we need to keep our foot near the brake trump trump certainly doesn't keep his foot near the brake he's on the gas all the time what are some more phrases that we might hear in the workplace uh that might be showing us you know there's somebody that's just making excuses for why they're such a bully yeah the the idea for that is is that they don't take ownership and they'll say it's other people's fault and you, you just don't get me you just don't understand me i'm a tough tough person it could be males or females i've talked to i've talked to both genders in the workplace about you know being bullied by male bosses or female bosses women talk to me about bullying each other which is you know they're not taking care of each other they're actually attacking each other mm. and a lot of times it goes to you know political hierarchies and organizations who's getting ahead who's going to get promoted who's going to get the better project and they they really try to attack each other just to get you know higher status and that, that's certainly something that Trump's been doing his whole career. Is there a fine line um, between bullying and just playing? It seems like a lot of guys love to one-up each other and might love to throw digs at each other. When does it turn into bullying? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And the, the answer is, is the boundary. What's what's the boundary of that? If you and I have a good relationship where we can joke around, then I know what the edges of that are. I don't I don't bring your parents into it or, or bring in your family or something like that. Yeah. There's a boundary to that. And the other part is, you know, is it hurtful or, or is it just kind of goofing around? And some people just don't get that. And that that's the other kind of code word is, you know, I, I can tell whatever kind of jokes I want. And if it hurts somebody's feelings, well, they're too bad they're not tough enough. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Yeah, you can take it any way you want. But I didn't mean it that way. Um, exactly. That that is a, another thing that you seem to hear a lot uh, to justify somebody being a bully is, you know, it's just who I am. I mean, like like Trump's a New Jersey guy, so a New Jersey guy or whatever might come off as, hey, like what? I'm just being strong. Um, is it is that real? I mean, is that is should we just allow people to be who they are from where they're from, or we do we keep the boundary? That's another thing you hear a lot is, you know, I'm from New York or I'm from here or this is my heritage or, you know, that's the way I was raised. I mean, those are sort of rationalizations for for obnoxious behavior. And I I find it interesting that, you know, in California where I am, we have a new bullying statute, an anti-bullying statute, but the legislators didn't actually put the word bullying in it. They called it abusive conduct, and it's really hard to define. Your abusive conduct and my abusive conduct are two different things. We need kind of a national human resources you know, uh, step up to say, hey, this is what it looks like at work. This is how it hurts the business. It makes people want to quit, makes them not want to come to work. We've got to stop doing it. 
that that's probably going to be a grassroots, you know, one company at a time kind of an approach. Mm. Let's talk about the the consequences. Like, how big of a problem is bullying in a work in the work environment? If you talk to some folks who have written about this, and one of my colleagues wrote a book about it, she, she talks about it as a billion-dollar issue because it's sort of a subterranean, submerged, under-the-water issue because you say, well, why'd you quit? Well, I wanted to get a better job. Well, the real reason was I was being attacked by my coworkers and my, my boss on a regular basis. You know, I, I didn't feel like coming to work anymore. And one time, for sometimes for bullying in, in the workplace, people just don't work very hard. They just go, you know what, I'm not going to engage. I'll just sit there. So we're not getting full productivity out of them because they're fearful, they're anxious, they're tired of it, they're frustrated. And oftentimes their bosses are either the problem or they don't do anything. And I see HR people say, well, let's do the best we can instead of saying, you know what, let's let's start using consequences, discipline and termination. Yeah. This is probably why we have such a high rate of kind of uh, in at, uh, um, inactive workers. You know, 70% of workers are disengaged. And, and so that's probably part of it. And then another reason why so many people probably don't want – I mean they want to have like more flexible work locations, working yeah. from home, not coming into the office. Exactly, and, and not having to engage with folks. You, you made a good point before, and, it, and one of the things I look at is what's the difference between an aggressive boss or an assertive boss? And most of us w- would say working for an assertive boss would be a good thing, Yeah. but working for an aggressive boss would not. Male, males or females, if, if you're afraid to come to work or ask this person a question or engage with them because you're going to get shouted at or embarrassed in a meeting, that stuff over time accumulates. It makes it no fun to go to work. Mm. And I mean, it's so subtle, and it and it also you can just see that there could be racist and sexist overtones to all of. I mean, to some of this bullying. So th- then it turns into other issues. Anyway, it's a fascinating topic. We're again speaking with Dr. Steve Albrecht, uh, who is the author of 15 books, including "Ticking Bombs: Diffusing Violence in the Workplace." Fear and Violence on the Job, and Tactical Perfection for Street Cops. Boy, all topics uh, that are needed today. Let's take a break, come back more with Dr. Steve Albrecht. We're going to start getting some solutions, some some tools for how we set those boundaries that he was talking about. And what should you say to a bully? This is great advice. In fact, Steve should be talking to the 15 candidates that, got a, that, that get the opportunity to go head-to-head with Donald Trump in the next week. Um, Man, what do you say to put the bully in its place and not, you know, create bigger problems? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show talking bullying after the break. To the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever had somebody in a meeting offend you and everybody around you, and then they're like, man, lighten up. I was just kidding around. I didn't mean to say that your entire country is sending rapists to America. I didn't mean that. Relax. Man, people are too sensitive. That might be a sign you're dealing with a bully. And our, our guest today, Dr. Steve Albrecht, uh, holds degrees in psychology, security management, and a doctorate in business administration. And he manages a San Diego-based firm specializing in high-risk HR, security, and work culture issues. He is here today to teach us about uh, how to handle and manage the bullies that we might uh, find in our life. 
Dr. Steve Albrecht, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so so glad to have you, and I'm glad you you were pretty vocal about the Trump effect because I I watched the face. Did you see the NBC reporter that he just filleted? Did I you did, s- and that's that's in his wheelhouse. I mean, that's he's been doing that his entire career, and it's not surprising. But that face, that look of just like, are you? Wow. I mean, it. You, I can imagine that in offices around the country. I can imagine it, you know, in schoolyards around the country. But nobody deserves to be demeaned or placed in a position like that. So teach us. You said earlier we need with a bully to be able to set a boundary. How how do we do that? How do we do it without, you know, chopping our head off? Yeah, one of, one of the first lines of defense is you as an employee to tell people, you know, enough of that stuff. Don't treat me that way. Don't speak to me that way. It, it's a more challenging conversation if it's your boss. But if it's a coworker, you know what? I'm not interested in your, your comments, your language, your behavior, your jokes. One of the parallels I give is, is like physical touching. You know, I'm a huggy kind of guy. I hug my friends. But I don't hug strangers and I don't hug people at work. Right. So if somebody's got that kind of behavior, you got to say, look, you know, I, I don't do that. Don't, don't touch me in that way or be around me like that. The first line of defense is you. The second line of defense is your boss, as long as he or she is not the problem. And you could go to another supervisor. And so that's one thing people get confused about. Can I go outside my chain of command? Certainly. Go to another boss. Talk to that person. Certainly human resources in your organization has got um, some say in this, a lot of say in this, as to what to do. And they can set policy. Even though bullying is not illegal in all 50 states, a lot of organizations do have very specific policies that say, look, no, no conduct that's intimidating, threatening. Don't, don't touch people in an appropriate way. Don't say harassing or demeaning things. Sometimes that stuff's pretty well spelled out. Yeah. That's a good place to go. There are also company attorneys, and, and they're in, in touch with this issue as well because they're worried about the litigation. See, it's a, it's a really interesting um, thing because some people, too, are sensitive and um, you know maybe weren't raised with four brothers that would beat you up or be rude verbally. And um, so I wonder if some people might just be more easily offended but I guess if I went to my HR people or my other my boss and I was saying I was being offended, they'd be able to give me feedback if I'm being too sensitive or if this really is bullying. Yeah, it, it's really a, a line of, of you know adjustment here. Some, some people you have a, a really good relationship with, you can say or do almost anything. Other people, not so much. Smart employees in the workplace, and you know this, yeah. and they, they work on that and go, you know, I don't mess around with this person or I, or I can mess around with this person because hmm. we have that kind of relationship. And I, I think, you know, politeness and civility in the workplace has really started to disappear. Like you said, people are working, you know, more remotely. There, there's a sense of a lot of collisions between age. That's a lot of things I see at work, too, which is an age um, issue between generations where younger generations and older generations don't have the same sense of things, and they, and they can irritate each other pretty easily. Yeah, and is it, it seems like the bully might, because they're the bully, they never get the feedback that they're the bully. You know, because a lot of people actually like that's what you're saying. You're the first line of defense. But if I don't ever say anything, then that person never gets the feedback or the consequence. And the tough part of bullying is as a behavior, as a personality issue, there's a lot of deeper stuff going on there. You know, it it, it goes back to childhood. It goes back to how they were raised by their parents. It goes back to how they interacted with people. And for some reason, that seemed to be an approach that was that was working for them. For women, sometimes they have to cross that line from assertiveness into aggressiveness to be taken seriously in organizations. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's too much. I've talked to a lot of women who say I'd much rather work for a male boss who's 
who treats me better than a, a female boss who wants to get ahead and steps on me on the way up to the top. Mm. So I think, you know, female supervisors have a, a duty to look at their own behavior just like any other boss and say, you know, it's too much, too much in terms of my aggressiveness. In your consulting, Steve, do they call you in after it's kind of all hit the fan and you have to clean yeah, it up? I'm kind of like the skin doctor. I usually see the bad skin, you know, yeah. the, the warts, the bumps, the rashes. And so I come in when, when people have not been speaking to each other for two years, where, where folks burst into tears in meetings, where there's a real sense that, that folks are quitting and the organization is losing people and they're taking it out on each other, on the mm. customers. It, it's, it's a bad time by the time I get there. Yeah, I've consulted with companies that, I mean, it was really a $10 million to $20 million problem because a board, board members couldn't get along and yeah, because there was huge. a bully, you know. That's huge, yeah. And then the impact on the business for bullying is kind of under the radar, but it's 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 obvious if you work there. Yeah. Talk about um, if it, if I go and decide right up front that I'm going to go be my first line of defense and I'm going to go talk to the bully, what should that conversation be like? Let's say that they've been verbally abusive. Maybe they've said stuff, uh, you know, um, Mike Huckabee had a comment about, about um, leading people to the doors of the crematorium or whatever it was. and Yeah, walking walk the Jews to the gas chambers. Yeah, so let's say I'm a Jew and I'm deal. sitting in my office and some guy keeps defending a comment and it's offending me. What should I go up and say? How should I approach that conversation? Yeah, I, I think you say, look, you have the right to your opinion, but if you want to talk about stuff that relates to politics or religion or any other really, really um, – sensitive issues, I, I don't want you to do it on me. It's as simple as that. Don't have those comments. Don't make those those jokes or, or don't do not do that stuff around me. Don't touch me. Don't say those things. Don't mm. do it around me. Are, are we clear? I mean, that, it's just, and then it's clarify, are we clear? Do and I do this in front of people? Do I need witnesses well, for this? Yeah, I think you do it one-on-one because then the, the witnesses or the, the other people kind of feed into the other person being mm. more defensive and coming right at, at you with saying, I didn't do that or you're, you're being too sensitive or whatever. I think it's a one-on-one conversation. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a polite conversation, but it's an assertive one. And you say, look, you know, if you keep doing this stuff, I'm going to the bosses. That's not what I want to do. I'm giving you the first chance to stop it. And, and oftentimes you see, you know, like in the schoolyard, standing up to bullies gets them to switch targets, and, and that's kind of one of the things you're trying to do. The tougher part of that conversation is if it's with the boss. I yeah. think you have to be more careful about how you do it. But you say, you know, boss, um, it, it hurts my feelings if you do this, this, and this, and just leave it out there. And then you can certainly say to anybody else later, HR or another supervisor, look, I put the person on notice. I asked them to stop the behavior. I think you got to document those types of things where it happens over and over again. HR doesn't want to hear sort of an oral story about stuff. They want you to do- show them documentation that happened, you know, two weeks ago, last week, yesterday, that kind of thing. That could just be a journal or an entry that we were in a meeting. This was said. This is exactly how it was said. This is how so-and-so commented. This is who was in the meeting. Exactly. And, you know, date and date and time. And here's the language. And don't use labels. Use behaviors. Yeah, yeah. He was mean to me. It's not, not yeah. appropriate. He, he was so rude. Specific things. Right. Yeah, exactly. He, he cursed me by saying these specific things is much more something that HR can do something with. Well, what do you see happens, uh, Steve, when some, when a bully confronts another bully? Yeah, that that's pretty explosive. That can be pretty volcanic. And, you know, one of the things that I, I, I think about in our conversation is sometimes bullies are rewarded for their work behavior. So, you know, if the guy's the best sales guy in the office or, or she's the best IT person in the office or she's a really good uh, customer relations person, then oftentimes we give them a free pass for that. Yeah. And and what I, I often see is, yeah, that's great, except what's the impact on the rest of the business? So sure. 
they can be the best best salesperson in the office, but if everybody's quitting around this guy, this guy because he's a horrible boss, then then you've got another problem. Well, and they, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, couldn't couldn't the bullying be the reason they're one of the top producers? They're they're yeah, intimidating and, others. They're they're exactly, stealing they leads up, or whatever. Exactly, they get a they get an upper hand on folks that that you know. And, and like you say, there's a degrees of sensitivity in folks. And I know we're not running a daisy farm when it comes to what what kind of organizations we're trying to create, but people have the right to come to a, a workplace where they feel professionally led, professionally supervised, and, and, and can be left alone to do their job. Yeah. Well, it seems like you also need both sides of the spectrum. I need the sensitive type, and I need the strong, aggressive type. And so as a boss, I need all of you. I just and, need and you to get good, along. Exactly. Good supervisors can manage people based on their personalities, and it's not one size fits all. And, and that's the thing that, that good bosses know. I have to do certain things. This employee needs more praise, more more support. This employee needs to be left alone to do his or her job. So good supervisors can move through that balance. And I always tell supervisors, pay attention to stuff and confront it early and, and get after it in coaching meetings early before it turns into a, you know, this has been going on for two years. Oh, yeah. And again, it goes back to your premise that that's, that's one thing if you're the boss, but if this is your boss or the owner of your company is the brute, then it's a whole different ballgame. You're in a tough spot, and I, I've seen a lot of people just just throw up their hands and quit. And then, you know, the, the, the owners of the company or the, the family that runs it, they can't figure out why they can't keep good people. And I say, well, you got to look at your internal behavior here, and, and it's, you're driving folks away. Is there any? Um, it seems like it'd be easy to end up hating the bully that's bullying you, and yet that person is really broken. They're they're broken. Like I just think of these little the school bullies that are bullying these other kids. They're just they have a broken past or something's wrong. How do we end up not getting sucked into the negative energy and the hate of a bully and actually end up letting that just my own emotion about it ruin me? Yeah, I think about the concept of forgiveness sometimes when, into what you're saying. And, and my definition of forgiveness is I don't forgive the person for the behavior, but I forgive myself for having to carry it around or yeah. having to affect my life or ruin my life. And sometimes you can put some emotional distance between you and this other person. You go, you know what? I can't fix the guy's personality. I can ask him to or her to leave me alone and to let me do my job. And, and you know, if that doesn't do that, then I have to have the courage with a capital C to go to another supervisor or the company attorney or to HR and ask for the things that I'm looking for. But in terms of the forgiveness, sometimes you just go, you know what? I'm, I'm not I'm not in that person's life. I don't know what they went through. I'm not going to let them ruin my career here. I'm going to work around them. I'm going to be strong. And also, I'm going to I'm going to let them deal with their own off the job psychological issues. I don't I don't have to get swept up in all that. Yeah, right, man. Thank heavens, huh? Hey, um, do you, you? I know you have a history in in police uh, in being a, a police officer as well. You worked as a San Diego in the San Diego Police Department for 15 years. With all right. the news and the kind of extreme stories that we hear coming out of police departments, do you sense is is there a do a lot of bullies make it on the police force? Well, we try to screen them out. I mean, we use psychological screening and, and polygraphs and interviews and things to screen them out. But they do get on there. And I, I, I think you're right. I think we're looking at a, at a revolution, a, an evolution in policing in this country, the movement towards body cameras, the movements toward more accountability, the movement towards better training, more insight in terms of dealing with racial issues and things. I think we're at the precipice at the edge of a big revolution in policing in this country. 
people are asking for more accountability from their cops. They, they want them to do their jobs assertively, but they also want them to protect people's rights and, and dignities. And I think we're looking at a big change in this country in terms of how we're going to do that. Yeah. It's almost like we're going to use we need we need not the guy that that wants to carry the big stick, but the guy that can, you know, use verbal persuasion better. And, and that, there was a movement in, you know, in the 90s, and, and we started talking about a concept called verbal judo, which is redirecting things. Uh-huh. A, lot of, a lot of cops said, oh, that's, you know, I, I miss the old days where we, you know, kicked butt and took names and all right. that. And th- those days are over. We, we've got to shift our perspective to how we, we treat the community because there are more people in the community than there are cops. Mm. We need the help from the community to do their jobs effectively. And again, the majority of cops are just awesome. They're great. And when you think about the crud they have to put up with day in, day out, you know, you're grateful for them. And then you get a couple bad eggs. Just I guess that's how it is everywhere. You get one bully on the I still to this day remember the bully on my playground. And he was a little he was a little man. He was little. And yet he was a Tasmanian devil. (laughs) Yet everybody in school was afraid of the guy. You should out the guy and then ruin his life and career. <laughs> Let's throw his name out right here. Exactly. It's so true. So we, we should confront. We should create a boundary. We can confront without being confrontational. We just lay down our boundary and, and tell them we need them to stop. Exactly. And if that doesn't work, then you start to bring in other resources. And, and you document the conversations and interactions where that stuff happens so it's not just your word against the bully's word. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Talk about it. We got about 30 seconds left or a minute left. What would you say? What's the one thing? I always like to know the one thing that would make the biggest difference for any of us dealing with a bully. Yeah, I, I think it's it's assertiveness and, and patience too. assertiveness towards representing what you want from from, you know, who you interact with and also being patient with each other. Everybody at work, you know, we're. We're all working at a not, not only a 24-7 pace these days, but it seems like a 72-7 pace. Yeah. The, the, the pace of life and work is just 1,000 miles an hour. We really, we really mistreat each other as a result of this urgency to get stuff done. And I think supervisors need to be sensitive not only to, to the workload, but also giving people more praise, catching them doing things right and, and saying better things about them because it you know, can feel like just a, you know, uh, another day of doing the same stuff over and over again gets, gets pretty depressing. Oh, so does. Well, uh, we appreciate you, Dr. Steve Albrecht. Uh, great stuff. If you go to his website, drstevealbrecht.com, drstevealbrecht.com, you can get information about uh, his coaching or his uh, consulting and, and a lot of his blog entries. He really has some great articles to help you deal with a bully in the workplace And I hope the other 15 GOP candidates that are going to be debating Donald Trump will go learn. Because I'm thinking 15 to 1. Come on. There's a shot for the rest of them if they work together. We'll take a break, my friends. Stick with us when we come back to a little Coach's Corner. Talk about competition versus cooperation. There's a time and a place for both. And there's a consequence for both. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This episode of The Matt Townsend Show was recorded previously. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, as we talk about bullying, we don't want to just bully Donald Trump, but man, he makes it so easy 
just because of, you know, the last few weeks. How many people are in the carnage of the Trumpster? So one of the things that I I really like to draw a distinction on when I work with companies, and Stephen Covey taught this uh, very well, is there's a certain time that we need to compete and there's a certain time that we need to cooperate. And competition works incredibly well, but you'll notice that a lot of, and it, for a lot of people, some of this aggressiveness and aggression that we see in our business and our workplace might be coming from the fact that you've set up systems that are competitive instead of cooperative. So if I work in a company and I'm a salesperson and we have a list uh, you know, where we compete every week to be the number one salesperson, then what? it's great because you'll get the benefits of competition, right? So I'll work hard. I'll keep trying to you know, increase my abilities and my skills. That's, that's actually pretty smart, right? Because I want all my sales guys kind of competing against each other, we think. The downside to that competition, however, is that when I figure out the number one easiest way to get leads and close deals – and it's my competitive advantage, I'm not telling anybody about it, right? I'm not going to tell you because it's mine. And so I keep some of the great secrets that could lift my entire team up, and I keep the secret because you've fostered as the sales manager a competitive environment. So we sometimes we're afraid that if we're too cooperative, we we, you know, We'll be able to brainstorm better. We'll be able to share best practices if we're cooperating. So the dilemma becomes, how do I create an environment where I balance my competition of my people and my cooperation with my people to create this synergy? Like, think about it in learning. Is the best way to learn to create a competitive environment? So if we're grading on the curve and I can only give so many A's, I guess that's the best way to create learning? I doubt it. Yet we're all at school competing for grades. We're all at work competing. And there are certain times I'm not questioning that we should compete. If I need to make a team, I want my team competing against each other to make the, to make the to decide who's going to be first string, right, on the team. So for a certain percentage of my camp with my team, I'm going to have them compete for their roles and their positions. But there comes a point where I need to then make them the team. And once I decide to make them the team, if competition every single day for your role or your position is there, then I'm going to actually impact our ability to cooperate together. I, at some point, need not individual goals per se. I need group goals, collective goals. So think about your organization. And if you're an organizational leader, even think about your family. A lot of parents try to motivate their kids by competing. I used to do it all the time. First one to bed gets a sucker. <laughs> and my kids would beat each other up to get to bed. Okay, you win the sucker. But they're crying and they're hyperventilating. <laughs> she hit me. Okay, well, we got them to bed. But they hate each other. There's a certain time to compete and a certain time to cooperate. And I'm afraid that many times the bullies unintentionally don't distinguish between the two. 
And for example, you can see with in political runoffs, we could compete so hard against each other that we can't cooperate at the end of the at the end of the primaries. You could compete so hard that your candidate is useless in a general election. And that was, you know, the old Reagan belief that he'll never say anything negative about a fellow Republican or whatever. It's not his role. He will only fight the Democrat or whatever. And there's times, if you notice, in our culture, in our uh, country, that our politicians are always in competition mode and they can't cooperate anymore. And yet policymaking and good, uh, you know, good democracy, healthy democracy demands a time to cooperate as well. So think about that in your life and in your world. Are you an effective manager of when to cooperate and when to compete? And a lot of times I think the bullies are people that just think competition's the number one rule. And it's just not the case. It's not the case. And whichever rule you choose, if you go with competition or cooperation, there's a consequence. There's a there's a payback. And um, you got to be careful of it, right? So think about it in your world. And don't just sit there and think everybody else is the bully. Is there any chance that people at your workplace consider you to be a bully? Just because of the jokes you make, what you say, are you a bully? Anyway, take it in. Figure it out. Learn. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break, come back, a whole new hour, talking about the needs of seniors. Next hour, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Everybody, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Gotta love that song. You you open the show with it. Love that song. I don't know who it is. We it just makes me feel happy. We didn't discuss opening the show. You, love that. You left the room and all right. yeah, you made got an voted down. Decision. The only great part of that song is the word Friday. So happy Friday, everybody. Matt Townsend taking the day off today. I'm Kathy Aiken filling in. Mac will be back on Monday. That is the good news. But everybody, happy Friday. You know, that's the sound that you hear in, in a household around May, June-ish when kids are out of school. But I have a feeling next week, this yeah. is what you'll hear. That's the sound of happy parents with the kids going back to school after a long summer. My, my boy goes back on, what, Thursday next week? Thursday. For uh, preschool? Oh, yeah, I get about two, two and a half hours and no kid oh, in the yeah. afternoon. yeah. I always felt guilty when people would say, oh, I'm so sad my kids are going back to school. I thought, I have three boys, yeah. and they wrestle and fight all summer long, so it's time. They need Just to go back to school. And one of the best commercials, I can't remember, I think it was a school supply or an office supply. Do you remember that, where they, the guy is going around throwing things in his cart to the song, It's the Most Wonderful Time oh, of the right. Year? Yeah. Oh, that yeah. is the greatest commercial. I would laugh every time, <laughs> and my ri- kids thought it was yeah. so mean. Yeah. Getting rid of the kids. But being Friday, any big plans for the weekend? Not one. Not one? No. And this gorgeous weather? I don't really plan. My wife does that, and I just sort of follow. Oh, you just follow, follow along? Yeah. That's she, good. She'll tell me later today what we're doing tomorrow. <laughs> That's a good husband. Well, that really is. Way to go. I don't really have high expectations for mm-hmm. the, the weekend, so mm-hmm. really ever. It's just sort of another day. Like, yeah. we have nothing to do. 
I go out and mow the lawn, there take care go. of the yard, just kind of kill some time that way. Yeah. Well, I'm just so nervous because I know football starting. It always makes me know that oh my goodness, fall is just around the corner, which I love. Yeah. But that means the snow is going to be getting don't start have to mow the lawn anymore. Yeah. Soon. There you go. There <laughs> you go. So yesterday it was interesting when we we discussed with Dr. Christine Carter about when we were talking about cell phones, smartphones, and using it intentionally. Mm. And I brought up the fact of um, parents ignoring their children when they're on the phone, and, and how their children really it was hurting the children. Yeah. And you know the song that came into my mind What's when that? we were talking about that, "Cats in the Cradle." Yeah. Is that the most depressing song, really, when you listen to the words? Pretty much. Especially when you're a parent. So I got to my car yesterday. It's a guy in his broken relationship with his his father, right? Well, his his son keeps wanting to play with him, and he keeps going, no, let's do it another day, another day. And then another day is the boy's grown, and the father wants his his time. And he's like, you know what? I'm busy, Dad. I'll get back to you. So it just comes full circle. So yesterday I go out into my car, and what song comes on right when I get in my car? Cats Cats in in the Cradle. Are you kidding? I haven't heard that song for years. I don't know if that was like some omen or something. Probably has more to do with what you're listening to. Because <laughs> no, I, I nothing listen I listen to, that never, song would, that song that would, would never, never come replay. on. No. That's true. Yeah, that is it's such a depressing so. song. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, you love it when you get in and it's one of your favorite songs, but that one really was a downer. I thought, wow, I heard and changed the channel. Anyway, back to today. It happens to be Creamsicle Day. Yeah. I am not a fan of Creamsicles, by the way. I like them. Do you? I, right. I'm more chocolate. That yeah. orangey thing, no. Frank Epperson of Oakland, California, pop, popularized ice pops after patenting the concept of frozen ice on a stick back in 1923. It was originally called the Epsicle. Yeah, he made the, the first popsicle. He right. then sold it right. to the popsicle company. Right, yeah. yeah. And I then think later popsicle they popsicle is better than epsicle. Yeah, yeah, more of a. It, it was sellable. funny. It says the Urban Dictionary says the word <laughs> creamsicle also means somebody who spends way too much time in the tanning booth turning an unnatural fake orange color. <laughs> and it works. We've seen those people. Yeah, yeah. You'll that start is seeing so sad. Uh, politicians. <laughs> mm-hmm. They'll start having the fake bronzer on because yes, they're trying not, not to look as look. pale as they are. Thankfully, they've they've made that better over the years. The first that came out was. I don't so know. Bad. We were we were grocery shopping a few weeks ago, and a girl walks by. And like her shorts from the bottom of her shorts to her ankle was bronze. Oh no! And like the rest of her was the sort of pale color. And you're like, huh? You didn't <laughs> quite finish legs, yeah. whatever you're doing there. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, you may want to go home and uh, get a little more on you there. Okay. Well, we have a great program coming up today. I'm really excited about this. BYU baseball coach Mike Littlewood is going to join us. Yesterday, if you listened, we talked uh, about the decline in the pop- participation, actually, the popularity of golf. Well, baseball is is having a similar problem, but with the youth. Why is baseball struggling to hook kids on the game? Isn't this supposed to be America's pastime? Well, we're going to talk to Coach Littlewood on how baseball hopes to get them back. That's coming up shortly, but first, let's go to Terry with the headlines. The U.S. Embassy in Cuba is reopened today. In attendance is Secretary John Kerry, becoming the nation's first top diplomat to visit the island in 70 years. The American flag was raised over the embassy this morning by three Marines who took it down when the United States left the country. Cuba's economy has seen a 50% increase in American tourism this year, but as Cuban diplomat Josefina Vidal, who negotiated the reopening of the U.S. Embassy, says to really help the island's economy, the trade embargo needs to end. There cannot be normal relations between two countries when there are sanctions, economic sanctions that damage the Cuban people and damage even the interests of the American people. In other news, the FBI is now in possession of Hillary Clinton's email server. We're going day by day with this. 
We're talking about it, talking about it, and now the actual piece of hardware is in the FBI's possession. The State Department is in the process of reviewing and releasing some 30,000 emails that were sent during Clinton's time at the State Department. The lawyer for the company that maintains the server confirmed that the old server is blank, and they they do not believe it contains any usable information. CNET.com's Dan Ackerman on the Erase server. You can eliminate data from any sort of hard drive or server. Uh, someone may be able to recover it depending on how good they are and how good a job you did in deleting it in the first place. And it's so ironic that it happened to be professionally cleaned. Isn't she that was done with it. She was done with it. Yeah. As soon as she was asked to give it up. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. Rumors last night, one time... Uh, a high-ranking political advisor to Al Gore told ABC News that a group of friends and former aides are having a soft conversation about a possibility of Gore running for president in 2016. The advisor cautions that there have been no formal or even informal moves by Gore himself. Uh, this story originated with BuzzFeed. ABC did some work trying to confirm the Tennessean. Al Gore lives in Tennessee, so the newspaper, the local newspaper there talked to some representatives. They mm-hmm. deny it. And uh, a Gore spokesman went on to tell Politico.com this morning that there is no truth to this rumor until he decides to run. Exactly. So, uh, until Hillary gets in more trouble. Right. And oh, hey, I mean, She's vulnerable. Let's yeah, go there we it. go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that works. U.S. oil prices have hit their lowest since March of 2009, dropping to $41.35 a barrel. Some experts worry that a global oil glut that could drive prices even lower this winter, additional output by Iran if export sanctions are eased, may contribute to a further price drop. So right now by my house... I think it's two fifty a gallon. No. Yeah. I paid two sixty five this morning. Well, I thought that was good. Come by, come by gas for wow, my house. Two fifty a gallon. Uh, but reports of an oil refinery in Indiana, just south of Chicago, are going to have some uh, maintenance. Going to go offline for a while, mm-hmm. which That'll is raise it up a, bit. a convenient excuse sure. to raise the price. Sure. Yep. If that's how this mm-hmm. process works, so mm-hmm. it could affect nationally. Sesame Street. Is moving to HBO. I saw that. Did you hear about that? Yeah. Starting this fall and continuing for the next five years, the beloved long-run children's series will premiere all of its new episodes on HBO as part of the network's aggressive push to expand its reach beyond Hollywood movies and original TV series. So HBO is looking to kind of diversify the, the lineup. Group, yeah. They did have Fraggle Rock when I was a kid. So apparently that didn't work. So the influx of resources from HBO's partnership will allow Sesame Street to dramatically increase its output. Right now they're producing 18 episodes a season for PBS. They'll move that to 35 episodes a season with HBO. Mm. A spinoff focused on the Sesame Street Muppets is also in the works. For those who don't subscribe to HBO, new Sesame Street episodes will air on PBS, but only after HBO's nine-month exclusive window on each new episode is expired. So eventually they'll get back to PBS, which was my concern. Uh Uh-huh. Because I don't want to. I mean, if I don't have to pay for something extra to get Sesame Street, come on. (laughs) So my kid's going to have episodes to watch. It's fine. Oh, good. Um, A city official in Washington State wanted a former city employee to pay back nearly eight hundred dollars in taxpayer money that she spent on cupcakes for her own office farewell party. So Mm. office employee leaves the office, has a party, buys cupcakes for everyone to celebrate. Spends $800 in taxpayer dollars to do it. I know. Maybe she's feeling like, well, why didn't you buy them? Why did you make me buy them? Right. I mean, wouldn't you prefer that your company bought them for you? 
Yeah, it, it comes. It comes back badly. You have to buy your own. How value valuable yeah, of an employee exactly. was she when she threw, throws her own going yeah. away party? Um, <laughs> she says that they're saying it's a gross misuse of money. She's saying that it was a, a, a office expense. It was an office party, so yeah. we spent office $800 money. Eight hundred dollars. Who doesn't spend eight hundred dollars yeah, so for cupcakes? She bought gourmet. Oh, gourmet, gourmet cupcakes. cupcakes. Yeah, that makes a big so. difference. Okay, Terry, thanks so much. When we come back, BYU baseball coach Mike Littlewood. He's going to jump in the studio and talk kids and baseball. Why aren't they playing the game like our generation? did and what youth sport is actually increasing in kid participation it may surprise you we'll tell you what that is coming up you're listening to the matt townsend radio show on byu radio back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kathy Aiken filling in for Matt, who's taking a little vacation time. He'll be back with us on Monday. Joining us now in studio, BYU baseball coach Mike Littlewood. Coach, good morning. Good morning, guys. Hey, I'm wondering, before we discuss this decline in kids playing the game of baseball, what, what are you and your assistants doing now? What's your schedule like now that it's the off season? Well, the summer's coming to an end. Our guys come back in a, in a couple weeks, and so we're looking forward to that. But we've been out recruiting. Uh, my, my recruiting coordinator, Brent Herring, is I'm not sure he knows where home is right now. <laughs> right. We've had four four camps, four youth camps over the summer that, mm-hmm. that are about a week long each. And um, How much do those camps help you, by the way, as far as down the road? I mean, do you get very many kids that you eventually sign from something like that? We get we have uh, we have two youth camps that are eight age ages eight to fourteen, and then we have two high school camps as well. And the and high that's school camps, the high school okay. camps, we've we actually identified. In both camps, we had roughly 200 kids, and, and we identified three players that uh, we would like to – and they're, they're young. They're mm-hmm. going into their sophomore year in high school, well, believe it or not. young. But uh, we know those guys can play. I mean, the, the left-handers are 6'3", um, that throw 83-84 right now. I mean, guys yeah. who can really get it done. So we're excited about a couple of those guys. Yeah. My youngest is a lefty, and that was our biggest mistake was not <laughs> having to throw the baseball. So, Mike, you, you come and take over the program in 2013 to th- turn things around. The, the year previously, 22 and 27, and they had a losing record at home. How much pressure did you feel coming in trying to turn around a program that you played for? A lot. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, yeah. It, a lot. We, uh, I, I remember we our first tournament was down at Texas Tech, and I remember walking like a caged lion back and forth in my hotel room just you know what and i had coached i've coached for 20 years before this you know 16 at the college level and four for the at a pretty good high school at alta high school mm-hmm. but this was different um i really felt uh a commitment that i that i had a commitment to everybody to, to come in here and, and get this thing rolling and so we're making progress i'm not really a, a patient person mm-hmm. um but it, it takes a little patience this this recruiting class that's coming on campus right now is our first full recruiting class we we may only pick here and there but you look at byu um, it takes basically six years to to kind of get guys in mission, get them right, out for right. the most part, and so it takes a little time to get your own roster. But man, the the culture changed in a hurry. Guys want to play, they want to compete, and and really that that was the number one thing we had to get done. When you talk about the missionary program, you know you see how it impacts Bronco, you see how it impacts Dave Rose for basketball, and the kids coming back and they say they've lost their legs, so to speak. What does that do to a baseball player comparing to those two sports? Well, I think it's the same. I mean, baseball's a, a fine skill sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, it's it's a, a fine skill sport mixed in with a team sport. It's a, it's a unique sport. But uh, pitchers, it takes a long time to get their arms back in shape. They feel great when they come back simply because they haven't done anything. Right. Uh, they're well-rested, but they're not in shape. Mm-hmm. And so 
We have a missionary throwing program. It takes uh, it's about an eight week program before they really start throwing hard. And so our pitchers that come back right now probably won't even get on the mound and throw live until mid October. So. Wow. And and hitting, it's just a matter of timing. Getting in there, getting a lot of at-bats. Um, anybody can hit if you're 45 miles an hour BP to them. But facing a pitcher that's throwing 90-92, it's a little bit different. So that could take some guys it's quick and some guys it takes almost right. a year. Yeah. Well, you had, you've had you had some great players. Uh, let's just talk of a few. Dylan Robinson, first-team all-conference infielder. You lose him. But Colton Shaver, uh, designated hitter, one of eight players chosen to participate in the uh, college home run derby. He's just a freshman? Yeah. Freshman, wow. Where freshman did you find him? Tell us a little bit about him. Jordan High School, uh, just right down the road, 20 minutes down the road. They have a good uh, program. Yeah, they really do. And, and Colton, uh, either he got intentionally walked or hit a home run his high, in his high school season, wow. you know, his senior year. Uh, he was just a really feared hitter. We wondered how, really how it would translate uh, to see if he could hit really good breaking stuff at this level. And low to, to mid-90s uh, fastballs, and uh, we were a little bit nervous in the fall last year because we play a fall season, too. It's just an unofficial season, but it's kind of like our spring training, mm-hmm. and I don't know if Colton got one hit, um, and his his at-bats look good. You can kind of tell who's got a good approach and and who doesn't. Colton had a good approach, but he just wasn't hitting it, and we're really? like, man, we he better. <laughs> but once that season started in, in February, he turned it on, and, and uh uh, he he was great for us, and we're looking for for big things for him. He was our DH last year. Probably get a little time catching this year in at okay. first base and move mm-hmm. into that position a little bit more. Okay, another Colton Colton Mahoney uh, pitcher who um, passed up his senior year, drafted by the Yankees in the sixteenth round. Sixteenth round. I mean, they had, there's a lot of rounds in baseball. How how is that? As far as um, is that was that good? Is that a high place? kind of in the middle it's in the middle there's, in the middle. there's 40 rounds yeah. uh, there used to be as many rounds as teams wanted to, to go and they said wow. yeah there's let's just go 40 rounds and mm-hmm. you know we were hoping for um if he would have had a great year he so he he previous summer he was the pitcher of the year in the cape cod league the best collegiate summer league and uh we were hoping he would take that stuff into our season he didn't he was a little inconsistent and uh, scouts were a little bit nervous about that so the 16th round isn't bad it's not great not bad um there's there's limits on how much he can sign for, but the but the thing for Colton is he went in and he got an opportunity. He's throwing well. His okay. ERA is two point eight seven. He's uh, throwing in Staten Island in the mm-hmm. New York Penn League right now, but he, he's doing a great job. And our other guys that got drafted my first year, Adam Law, Adam Miller, Jacob Hannum, and Jacob Brugman, all in Double A right now. Oh great! Uh, and all doing really well. I mean, Double A is close. There's guys that go right from Double A to the big leagues right. all the time. There's no nec- nothing says you have to go to Triple A. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great. Some people say the toughest level to play at is Double A. Yeah. So it, they're all doing tremendous. So all these players we've talked about, and you, I'm sure, are the same. You start the game when you're young, right? Well, uh, since 2007, according to uh, data from the Sports and Industry Fitness Association, says baseball's lost more than a million kids in participation. From age six to twelve, one million in that time span. Does that make you nervous? What do you, what do you think of that number? Well, I think the numbers are probably skewed just a little bit. Um, if you're talking simply just little league, the little league organization, um, it, it's they probably are declining just a little bit. And I played little league. It was uh, it was tremendous. And I watched the little I watched uh, Snow Canyon little league last night on ESPN uh, playing at mm. Bonita from from California. Oh, wow. um, and one of my former players, Brandon Lyon, was was coaching that team. And I texted him a little bit, but. That that the little league organization is probably dying just a little bit, and I think you'll see um, if you counted travel teams and um, oh Cal Ripken League. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a little bit different. So I love little league; it's great, but little league doesn't allow the players to lead off. Uh, Cal Ripken allows the players to lead off. 
little league, they they go from sixty uh, foot bases, and then when they're twelve or they're thirteen, they go to ninety foot bases. So there's a big jump there. Cal Ripken and some other leagues, and Dennis Udy runs uh, the Rocky Mountain School of Baseball here. He's got four hundred twenty five travel teams that play every Saturday. In 425. 425 teams. Of how many kids? Um, probably, 20, pro, the, on a team, it's probably 10 to 12. Oh, just yeah, 10 to 12. 10, just the, the very whole. Very short. Just, yeah. okay. just on a travel team, you're going to go play. As much as you can get. Okay. But I think there's been a big uh, migration from the Little League program. And people, and they'll still play Little League. But like Taylorsville doesn't play Little League. West doesn't play Little League. And Taylorsville would win it every single year. Oh, yeah. They're and, now they're, and now they're not, they're not even playing Little League anymore. They've gone to more the Cal Ripken and, and the travel ball type stuff. So... Travel ball, you lead off. Mm-hmm. Um, you can. There's 70 foot bases, and then there's an 80. There's a progression up to 90, uh, 90 foot bases. It's a. We lose a lot of kids in baseball from going from the 60 foot bases, where they feel pretty good when they're 12 years old. Then they go to the 90 foot bases, and they they can hardly throw the ball from shortstop. Right. You know, without bouncing it a right. couple times, and they get frustrated. And so, uh, if you look at baseball overall, there's so much negativity in it. Uh, We've it's been said many many times, but the best hitter even in little league probably still gets out six times. You know they hit four hundred, mm-hmm. they they get out six times, and it's a negative game. And so you you those little kids sometimes have a hard time adapting to that. Yeah, is when you say negative game, so is there is the fun not what kids are looking for today? Like maybe in soccer or something where you know you score a goal, you're excited. I, I don't know. Is it the fun part, or the fun aspect? Is that being taken away? Well, you know, I think in you look at those. Type sports, you look at basketball and, and soccer and, and football mm-hmm. to some degree and lacrosse, you really can kind of hide with the group. Right. Um, you can run it's around. Not individual. My, right. my kids played soccer and, and uh, when they were really young. And I remember my, my little girl, who's 21 now, she would just follow the ball around. There'd be a big pack and oh, she'd sure. follow the That's ball the, around and she'd have a blast. Swarm <laughs> you know? of bees, they call it. Yes. E- exactly. And, uh, but in baseball, you think about it. And in basketball, the same. I mean, if you don't want to get the ball, then stay away from the ball. If you get it past you, then pass it to somebody else real mm-hmm. quick. But in baseball, there's going to be two or three times every single game where you're on the stage. You're up to bat or the ball's going to be hit to you, and you have to perform on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. And so that that fine skill level comes out where you have to be able to catch the ball and throw it somewhere. Right. And, and you have to know where to throw it if there's somebody yeah, on base. Exactly. It's a thinking man's game, right? No doubt about it. There yeah. was an interesting – I saw a quote from a teenager who said the reason he doesn't play is for that reason. You have to constantly be thinking each play where maybe you know basketball, soccer, football, a lot of it is instinctive. Yeah. Where baseball, you really have to – okay, there's somebody on first, there's someone on third. And so that kind of uh, intimidated him, and that's why he didn't want to play. I thought that was interesting. You know, I, I just I, – I laugh to myself when people say baseball is boring because there's so much – if you, if you really know the game Mm -hmm. there's so much going on between pitches and and strategy and um it is we try to tell our guys even at at the college level think one pitch ahead you know just ask yourself what if instead of playing behind the play be proactive and think ahead of the play because no matter where the ball's hit you have one of those nine guys on the field has a responsibility to be somewhere whether it's directly involved in the play or backing up a play i mean you'll see good teams have someone going everywhere. There's right. rarely a guy just standing, you know, with his head on a, a 360 looking right. around. And, it, right. and if he's doing that, he's probably not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So it is a thinking game and uh, maybe more important than, than the skill level at a, at a young age. And those guys that we really love are the instinct guys that you talked about, right. where you don't have to say, think one pitch ahead. They're just automatically doing it. Right. And you don't have to be constantly yelling out, hey, remember there's, you know, yeah. a double play or whatever. Um, I thought it was interesting, too. Uh, they're talking about the super leagues. Are they are they damaging 
some of the kids, I mean, they're, not everybody can play in a Super League. And so these Super Leagues go on, and they're so dominating. I remember watching a 10, uh, they were 10 years old, a league uh, from, I think it was West Jordan, Utah. And there was a 10-year-old who literally could squat at the catcher position and throw straight on a dime to second base without standing up. And I thought, this kid's 10 years old. So few kids can do that. And I'm wondering if those Super Leagues, do they get these kids burned out? Is it too much too soon? I would say probably, yeah, probably to some degree. And there's, I mean, I, I guess it's um, just individualized. I mean, some you you get some coaches that are just overboard with it. I've seen I've seen a lot of obviously a lot of baseball, a lot of youth baseball, and even in the in the pro baseball right now. But um, if you get that psychotic coach that wants his guys to be perfect, right? That makes a difference, doesn't it? Oh, the youth absolutely. Coach for sure, attrition is going to be one year. I mean, you're going to be in and out in one year, and, and the kids are going to hate it. Um, ultimately, you know, as a as a college coach, uh, we we kind of think, okay, who's going to get through that? Who's going to play eighty games a year and end up rising, cream rising to the top? Right. And, and then especially they, at the end of the year, they're always the best one clear through high school. And mm-hmm. those are the kids we're looking for. And so, it's sad, but we don't look at that attrition level as as much as we look at who's coming through that, who's going to make it through. So. Very interesting. Coach Littlewood, thanks so much. Stay with us. But when we come back, more on baseball. And you may be surprised at the one sport in the country for youth that has actually increased in population, especially in Utah, would be a big surprise. More to come on the Matt Townsend Show here on BYU Radio. Back to the Matt Townsend Show. Kathy Aiken filling in for Matt. Matt will be back in the big chair on Monday. But right now we're talking about youth baseball and the decline in kids playing the game. And during the break, Coach Mike Littlewood of BYU and I were talking about parents and how they get too involved taking over, trying to coach their kids, like you said, from behind the backstop. What, what would your advice be to parents of kids that play the game? Keep it in perspective. Um, you know, I've had all my... I have three boys. They all played. Uh, I have one right now playing Double A baseball with the uh, in a Mariners organization. And as I, as I look back, I feel like a lot of times dads feel like, man, if my kid strikes out, that's a reflection on me. Hmm. And to keep it in perspective is probably the probably the best advice I could I could get. let them have fun. That's oh, what it's, that's what that it's supposed so to true? be. Yeah, they don't. That, when my kids would play, about. first thing I said, did you have fun? And that was the first question. If they Absolutely. didn't have fun, then it's not worth it. Yeah. But we also, if they if they started, they couldn't quit. That was our <laughs> other rule. If you play, you have to be committed. I so, like that, too. Yeah. So talking about the decline uh, in youth uh, participation in baseball, and it was interesting, Coach, because uh, Major League's new commissioner, Rob Manfred, I mean, this is a big priority for him. In fact, Major League Baseball is committing $30 million over the next three years to programs to make amateur baseball better and I thought this was interesting, more available. I would think baseball is one of the more available kind of sports for kids. Is it not? Am I wrong on that? Well, I would, I would say it's probably not just because uh, think about the equipment you need to play, mm-hmm. to play basketball. You need, a, you need a ball and you, you need a hoop. And you could probably even make your own hoop. Um, I remember when I didn't have a hoop at, when I was growing up, I'd throw, it off the, I'd throw the ball off the, the basketball off the, the roof and let it <laughs> sure. come back down to me. <laughs> I and just try to aim at something, uh-huh. you know. But baseball, I mean, you need a, a couple hundred dollar glove. You need a, a bat that's a couple hundred dollars. You need somebody to throw to you. Um, there's, and you need probably eight other guys to go out there and shag for you. It's just, it's probably um, 
a little bit more difficult to come by than just uh, simply to get going a full out. team for to sure, get, yeah, right? And to get right. Pra- and to really get practice mm-hmm. in. So, but to go to your local. Um, uh, rec center and, and play baseball. I'm sure there's there's opportunities everywhere. Yeah. When we're talking about that, the movie Sandlot keeps coming exactly. into my mind. My, my boys watch that of. over and over again. Yep. It was interesting because they said the single biggest predictor of whether or not you become an avid fan as an adult is if you played the game. So obviously, Major League Baseball is looking at that going, that's a dollar sign. If they don't become fans later on, they're not going to buy tickets. They're not going to watch the games. They're not going to buy you know uh, gear uh, from a team, a jersey or a hat. 79% of so-called avid fans play the sport. But you know what, Mike, I think a lot of those were back. It's kind of a generational thing. I remember watching NBC baseball on Saturdays with my dad. He was a Yankee fan. I was a Reds fan. And I don't know if they do that anymore. It's, I think it's kind of the older generation. Yeah, well, shoot, nowadays you can catch any, any game. Any game any, on your device, but for I re- sure. I remember the same thing, yeah, it, with Joe Garagiola and, sure, and yeah, you know, all exactly. the guys. But um yeah, I think it, it kind of goes – you talk about the avid fan. I think it's, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If you don't learn the game of baseball, you're going to think it's boring. Right. I mean, I, I search for games on the MLB network that are in the seventh or eighth inning that are within one run to see the strategy that goes into what, what, what are these managers going to do? How are they going to do their matchups left-left? Uh, you know, how are they going to run their shifts in, in close games? Do they bunt? Are they going to bunt at the big league level when we would bunt in, in college? All those things just intrigue me. Um, you know, my, my mind's probably a little bit off balance, too. Well, and you're thinking of a coach, but I'm wondering <laughs> yeah. if the normal fan... Here's my other, my, my other question. I know that baseball is trying to speed the game up. I don't know that they've really, you know, been diligent with that this year, but is the... I don't know if is it too slow for some people, you know, just in, especially sure a no hitter. I mean, you I think you have to love the game to really appreciate a no hitter. What was it, the fourth no hitter in the major leagues the other night? Yeah, yeah, Mariners. Yeah, so you have to love the game. What about for the casual fan? Is it too long just to sit in the stands, eat a hot dog and you know, wait for three or four hours, three hours. I think I think it probably is. Just the, the people who come out and bring their family to one or two games uh, a year, it probably is. But again, if you understand the game, a no hitter. I mean, we all we all want to see scoring in sports, right? right? right. I mean, that's what we want to that's go see. That's what I'm saying. For the average fan, Absolutely. that might be a snoozer. But I don't know. You you get in the fifth inning and the guy's got no hits. Uh, he's a pitcher hasn't given up a hit, and th- then all of a sudden, for for me or somebody who really knows about baseball, that's when you get get excited. You know, that's when your ears perk up and you're going, hey, there's something really cool happening here. And then the fifth and sixth inning, you don't take your eyes off the TV right. or the game. And so, yeah, I, I agree. I think you have to know a lot about baseball to really, really enjoy it um, or appreciate it, maybe is a better word. Do, do you think the game has enough big-time stars to really attract kids? Um, I mean, that is so big. I mean, I remember, you know, Johnny Bench, I mean, all those Reds players, I could name them off when I was watching watching them way back then. But nowadays, I don't know I don't know if a young person could really name more than a few, and especially with Derek Jeter gone now. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think luckily uh, and fortunately for the game, we have Mike Trout coming up, who's right. He's really young. And, so and, fun to watch. And, Bryce. and was here in Utah playing AAA yeah, for a while. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Bryce Harper, who um, played on a summer team the Marshall with the Marshals. Um, when he was in high school and, and grew up in Vegas, pretty close. Carlos Correa, who who's with the Astros now. I mean, all those guys are 20, 21, 22 years old. And there's a bunch of those young kids coming up. But uh, it'll time will tell. I mean, Jeter was in the game, what, 20 years? Yeah, and forever. so that, that takes that, – that's an anomaly in, in sports nowadays. And so I think there's guys coming up that, that young kids can latch on to. I, I was watching the, that World Series, Little League World Series last night or the, the regional – 
And almost every single one of them had, had favorite player. It was either Bryce or Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. Bryce or Mike yeah. Trout. Those are the, so. and when, I, when I was thinking of that question, those are the two players I could think. Total opposite ends of the country. But, you know, basketball or whatever, I mean, LeBron, uh, you know, uh, Kobe, I mean, you could name several players. I'm For just sure. wondering if that was if that one issue. But what surprised me, Mike, do you know what the one youth participation sport that has increased in participation over that same period of time? Well, I probably know because I just, I've heard. I heard a lot of people talk about lacrosse. Could that be it? It's ice hockey. Ice hockey. Oh yeah, that's that shocked me. I huh. mean, there's. I mean, I'm, I'm me sure too. like Minnesota, places like that around the country, back east. That's that's hockey country. Yeah. Um, but that really surprised me. I yeah. mean, almost by fifty percent in youth participation. I thought that was that was really interesting. So, do you do you see the decline in the in the baseball and and with if then even if the numbers are skewed a little bit, are you concerned about that at all as far as what you do? Well, I think if uh, I'm not honestly, I'm not because we're looking for those. It, let's say in our state, we're looking for that one or two, maybe three of the best players. And some years there's more than that. Some years there's half a dozen in uh, our state that can the state of Utah that that can play at the D1 level. We don't want to miss out at BYU on on missing any one of those guys. So if there's one that can play here, that's going to be one that year. If there's six, we want we want all six of the the best guys. And so those guys are always going to be rising to the top, you know, and, and the kids who don't like baseball, uh, that it, it's unfortunate to say from my perspective. I mean, if they don't want to play, then, then they probably are, are better going to play soccer or basketball right. or some, something else just from what, from what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as love of the game, I, I would want them to play it as long as they can because I think the more they learn about the game, then the more they're going to learn to appreciate the game and, and then maybe develop a deep love for it and then become that fan even come to Cougar games, you know, when, right. when they have no interest in, in uh, or or personal connection to any of the players. I mean, mm-hmm. th- those are the guys we love. Come out all the time and support the team. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's – I don't think the numbers are declining necessarily just because of the travel ball issue because I see so many – I mean, I see so many games and youth. and, and uh, But I, I know Little League is declining a little bit and, you know – they need to keep up with the times as far as changing the rules, maybe stretching the rules is letting them lead off, mm-hmm. stretching the bases a little bit. But Make it a little um, more fun. We just want really good players out of high school, and, and that's what we're looking for. So, Coach, tell us that you're entering your fourth year now. Tell us, Give us a little insight into this next season, what you're looking for, some of the, maybe some of the players that we should be watching for. Yeah, well, we had a good, good year last year. We had a good run, made the West Coast Conference Tournament, lost a 5-0 lead to Pepperdine, unfortunately, in the eighth inning. Mm. <laughs> but uh, have a good core of guys coming back. Uh, Hayden Nielsen at short, Eric Ear in the outfield, Brennan Lund in the outfield. Uh, Brennan was all-conference, Hayden was all-conference, and... On the mound, we have Mike Rucker, 93-94 mile-an-hour guy who, who will be drafted next year. Bronson Larson behind the plate. I mean, we, 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 could, we have a really good core of guys, but what's exciting for us is this is our first full recruiting class. It's our fourth year, so the, the class that's coming on campus right now, 12 or 13 freshmen, are guys that we started talking to when they were ninth grade and sophomores, and we've kind of followed them all the way through, and now they're on campus. And so, oh, so young. Seems so young to me. Yeah, that's it. But they yeah. are. It's like they're going yeah. younger. I mean, there's basketball players. They're recruiting middle school kids. It's yeah. crazy. Well, we on our the very first recruiting trip I went on this summer, it was uh, 2019 and 2020 graduates. So they're eighth, oh eighth and ninth goodness. graders. Yeah. It felt kind of felt kind of weird watching that young kid playing, thinking, wow. But that good, that's he what could we're doing. come to us. Yeah, you mentioned earlier about um, when your son strikes out or whatever, you feel like maybe that's a reflection on you. How does it feel for you when a player gets drafted and that reflection on you? Obviously, that's got to be a great honor. Yeah, I mean, we we've in in the years at Dixie and uh, at BYU, we've had probably sixty or seventy kids drafted and, and a few mm. play in the big leagues. And it's you know, I'm not too connected to that. I think it really helps the program. Mm-hmm, uh, for we sure. st- we stay with them and. 
and we want them to get drafted. I mean, that's everybody's that's goal. goal. Right? That's yeah. everybody's goal mm-hmm. coming into to play college baseball, and we want that. Um, we want them to get the fair their market value when they sign when they sign their bonus, uh, and that's the big thing for us. But it helps your program. It helps them. More kids want to come to your program of play. Yeah, well, that's great. Uh, th- those are great numbers. It is, it's a huge jump from single A to the bigs. Oh, no doubt. Huge doubt, yeah. No doubt. Well, Coach Mike Littlewood, BYU baseball coach, thanks so much. Well, really interesting topic. I appreciate your time today. Well, stay with us coming up. We're going to talk movies with Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews. That's coming up later. He'll be previewing The Man from Uncle and Sean the Sheep. And, of course, a little bit later, BYU Sports Nation. That's all coming up right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Kathy Aiken filling in today for Matt. He'll be back on Monday. Aren't we all excited for that? Hey, interesting story here, Terry. And this one, I mean, seriously defies logic. Three men were arrested after kind of treasure hunting in the New York City sewers. Three men hoping to find valuables in New York City's extensive sewer system are facing criminal charges for climbing through a manhole cover and spending several hours on a treasure hunt in the muck-filled caverns in New York City. A man dislodged a manhole cover on the street in Brooklyn and allowed two other men to climb inside. Isn't that fun? Witnesses called police and responding officers and firefighters outfitted with protective garb followed the men but could not locate them. After four hours, the two men emerged and were taken into custody. They had metal detectors with them in the sewer in hopes of finding valuables flushed or dropped down toilets and drain pipes. Boy, that's desperation, isn't it? I, I guess. Um, but, <laughs> so police officers put on protective gear. Oh, protect. I'm sure. Oh, So sh- short straw. A very short And then you straw. get to go down. Because I, I, I I'm imagine. Sure it's probably like hazmat stuff, I imagine I'm it kind of goes by seniority where the, the, <laughs> sure. the older cops look over and go, go ahead. <laughs> I'm not Earn going down. Have you ever seen the show Dirty Jobs? I have seen that. They do a couple kind episodes of in, that. Oh. in the sewers of New York. They go in there with cameras. They're showing uh, how the, the people maintain and work in that environment. And, and that's funny because just the other day, my husband had on Shawshank Redemption mm. when he's going through that sewer and yeah, literally gross. like losing his lunch yeah. in, that, in, the, in the tunnel And, and he was in a smaller pipe in that. Very, oh, would now, that be horrible? in this, it's like, you know, huge room-sized caverns, but, you know, it's in the sewer. So oh. let your mind wander. Well, it says the two men facing criminal charges of trespassing... It says there are more than 6,000 miles of sewer pipes below New York City's five boroughs. Over one billion gallons of wastewater moves through the system each day. And there's, oh, there's, I hope no one's eating breakfast or lunch wherever you're at. That there's is the alligators. Awful. Yes, that's true. Or snakes. Or snakes. Yes, snakes. All kinds of stuff. Oh, my gosh. That is just horrible. The Ninja Turtles live there. That's, I forgot about that. So there's all kinds of stuff in the sewers. <laughs> says I didn't find them, them, though, so I think we're okay. What do you have? This one the other day. A huge hole is opened on a beach in England, and it's erupting like a volcano, sending showers of snails oh, man. flying everywhere. The squirming little mollusks, are, uh, along with carpets of foul-smelling seaweed, are being shot into the air. And, you know, people are around and, you know, uh, so they've cordoned it off on this public beach. It's this massive just sinkhole. Oh, my. But with the the waves rush in, it just causes everything to erupt from underneath it. Uh, tourists could find themselves covered in something far worse. There's a uh, sewage pipe. Talking of sewage pipes. Right in the area. Oh. And they're afraid that it might rupture because of the 
the volcanic reaction going on. The Well, it's not volcanic, but the volcanic-like reaction. Right. And uh, the crater is already more than six feet wide, 10 feet deep, and no one's been hurt so far, but they're trying to figure out their options. Apparently, it opened up about six months ago, and it was about 15 feet wide, 15 feet deep, so it was bigger then, so it's smaller. But it's just, it's throwing just whatever's in it goes flying through the air. And hope you're not in its path. Okay, that's disgusting. I don't know why we keep going to sewage, but anyway. Thank you, Terry. We'll be coming up next in the next hour. We're going to talk movies if you're excited about going to the movie theaters this weekend. Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com is, he'll preview The Man from Uncle. I'm I'm really looking forward to hear about that one. And Sean the Sheep, more for the children. And of course, later on, BYU Sports Nation. We have a fun story about what the BYU football team did last night. You won't want to miss it. That's all coming up next on the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Kathy Aiken filling in for Matt today. We kind of went to the gutter last segment talking about uh, sewage seeking It's where the news takes people. us. Isn't it's it not so? our fault. Isn't that so true? Well, did you hear the story about the pigeon drug dealer? Did not. This, this was funny. Well, not funny. A homing pigeon was intercepted by police at a prison near San Jose, Costa Rica after it was seen by a guard landing in the jail's courtyard with a big bag tied to its body. That bag, by the way, found 14 grams of cocaine and the same amount of marijuana. Authorities suspect the bird was looked after and fed by an inmate at the medium security prison before someone smuggled it out of the prison only to load it with illicit cargo ahead of its return route. Hmm. No, they always want to go back home. So, hey, right. since you're going back home, yeah, al- is that crazy? along the way, take this. Yeah, yeah, take this with you. Yes. So, Apparently, the bird um, was able to fly perfectly well, despite this big bag strapped against its body. The man said he had seen cases of cats being used to transport drugs strapped to their tails, adding that the homing pigeon incident would lead to a redoubling of efforts to clean the gel of controlled substances. Hmm. The bird has affectionately been nicknamed Narco Pigeon. Hmm. Very nice, very nice. And has been handed over by the authorities to a zoo which unfortunately now they say it can never be freed because it's been used to being fed by people. Right. So, and yeah, and so. if you let it go, it's going to fly home. Exactly. It knows where to go. It knows right where to go. They've had problems. I've read several instances where people are using drones and they're just flying it over prison walls. That's exactly. I mean, th- that is, I think, going to be a serious and one issue of, for one sure. And one of the places they found, the only reason they found out about it is because the drone got caught up in some power lines. So it was up there, and you, it was spinning around in the power lines, and they were like looking around, and they finally found it. They're like, "Oh, wow!" Well, can and you imagine so, all the drones? What that's going to, uh, oh, what yeah. that's going to do? I mean, all all that it can do is quite frightening, actually. Just fly over, drop, yeah, and move drop on. something. Yeah, that is crazy. The what else uh, you got? weaponizing of raccoons. The weaponizing. Yes, Ukraine is very concerned about the weaponizing of raccoons. How do you weaponize a raccoon? Well. They say they reportedly the Ukraine armed forces are looking at these animals uh, for combat engineering purposes. <laughs> the work to train the animals, look for mine. They're looking for mines. Mm-hmm. So they have them go out ahead and they kind of sniff oh. around and they do that. If they get blown up, then we know that there's yeah, a They mine don't have there. to. I yeah. hope there's a way they can indicate like, hey, there's one right here <laughs> without them like stepping on it and going, oh, yeah, there's one. <laughs> a um, raccoon. I could see a dog doing that, but raccoon. One of the military crazy. units of uh, this region of Ukraine, there's a raccoon named Hook. 
Dog handlers have picked up picked a female for the raccoon, a female raccoon named Alice. So after the Alice. animals produce offspring, they'll be taught to search for explosives. The raccoon is a resilient animal that can escape from predators. Raccoons are known to be very cunning and resourceful creatures, and have not uh, proved and they have proved their ability for military learning. This hmm. is the, I didn't know they were smart. Like the problem that. is crazy. this is all according to Pravda, which is a Russian news website. I, oh well, then and, you can't believe a thing they say. Well, sometimes it's. It's, you know, on the level. Other times it's, I mean, yeah. they, they talk about a lot of alien encounters and stuff in there too. So mm. it's kind of a fun newspaper. So I thought just the idea of maybe trying to weaponize a raccoon yeah. is kind of interesting. Mike, you have a raccoon? I don't have a pet raccoon, but that's interesting. That doesn't seem like a, a weapon. I, I was imagining like a bomb strapped to a raccoon. They're just kind of uh, like a, I mean, we have bomb sniffing dogs, but yes. that's not a weaponized no. dog, right? And, and they're going out there, and the dog can actually pick up trace mm-hmm. smells and move mm-hmm. away. And I don't know if the raccoons can do that. <laughs> it's almost like you're just sending that raccoon out to trigger a bomb. Oh, the Still, one of my favorite commercials is the one on TV where the lady's out looking for her cat or her dog. I can't remember. I think it's her cat. She goes, here, kitty, kitty. And here walks in a raccoon. It's like, what? no, you need glasses. <laughs> yeah. It was an ad for glasses. Yeah, not your cat. <laughs> In another story, Alabama apparently has a three hundred million budget gap. Right, wow. they don't have enough money. Three hundred million, wow. 300 million dollars. Okay. So, one a state senator, Paul Sanford, has oh, come up with Go an Fund idea. Me. He's got a GoFundMe yes. account. They're trying to get the public to, I guess, seriously, act, who put up would more put money? money into so that? far, they have five hundred seventy-eight dollars towards their three hundred million. By how many goal. people do we know? It doesn't say. Do we don't know how many donors. Anything? Do you get? Like your name on a plaque? I, I get mean, a $1 tax. I, I think uh, it would be yeah. counterproductive to the budget issue if you hand out free things that you had to pay for. Well, I mean, it might why add to a budget problem. No, I think he eventually said that he was kind of doing that jokingly. Yeah, so is the money going to be returned or are they going to use it? I don't, I don't know. It does not say. Oh, if that's a joke, that's funny. Yeah, that's hilarious. Funny. Yeah. Go fund me. <laughs> Setting up an account and everything. You have to be somewhat serious. I guess. It, it just seems like he's... He he seems like he's ticked off. Mm-hmm. He found a way to express his anger in a funny way. Yeah, good one. And he put it out there. Five hundred. Yeah, it sounds he's like got the people are really all for it. Yeah, good one. Okay, interesting stories for sure. Well, coming up next hour, we're going to go to the movies with Rod Gustafson. He's from ParentPreviews.com. Looking forward to the preview on the Man from Uncle. And if you're taking your kids, how about Sean the Sheep? He's going to talk about that as well. And of course, a little bit later on, BYU Sports Nation will talk football camp and some other topics. That's all coming up next hour. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, minus Matt, actually. I'm Kathy Aiken filling in today. Matt will be back with us on Monday, hoping he's enjoying a couple of days off of rest and relaxation wherever he went. But really, the best news is it's Friday. <laughs> I love that. Don't you love Friday, Terry? Friday. It's all right. Oh, come on. It's the best day of the week. Well, you know, and then it's Saturday. Then it's Sunday, then it's and then Sunday, I'm back, then back here. Back so. Monday, so. <laughs> I try not to get too high or too low because yeah, that's eh, good. I, you know, I that's could, a I, great I, thing about men. You're always so even killed. Women, we're just up and down. It's it's not fair, actually. I could go home, and then there's a car issue. I could go home, Very and like the hot water heater needs yes, replacing. Or the you know, things happen. Broken. Yeah, yeah, a sprinkler repair. 
that That's is a constant. That's one of the worst ones. I just sure. try to avoid that. <laughs> but, you know, the big news today, my Green Bay Packers won last night. Oh, pre-game. Did you see Pre- that? I didn't. It's preseason football. I know. I know. I know it's preseason. The, I know it's meaningless. The actual team played for about... Uh, what five six downs and then they Aaron Rodgers the played for three series yeah okay, so three very series. little wow. yeah yeah, yeah I, more than I thought usually yeah. they play one and Jimmy Garoppolo down. played pretty well actually for All the right. Patriots uh, without Tom Brady twenty two to eleven my Packers then you get they're off they're going to win it all three quarters of people that are going to get cut <laughs> they're not going to make the team it's I know really, <laughs> I know you're really cheering for those ones out they're going come on come on do, do something do you, good do you do that do you watch those games and like pay attention not to who really. may okay I do when Aaron Rodgers is in. Uh, you know, when the starters are in. And right. then, yeah. No, then I'm just kind of, it's about, in the background. you worry about the 68th guy on the team or whatever no, it is? 64th that's kind of who guy? I'm cheering for. Okay. Hoping they make it. You know, I those just, are the guys that, I mean, it's still good money, but compared to Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, it's they nothing. They have really no effect on the team, though. I know, but you still the, want to They're like the living. practice squad or they're <laughs> on the know. kickoff return team. It's I like, know, but give them a job. I don't know. Okay. Here, here, I love this story, though, speaking of the NFL. J.J. Watt, right? Yes. Love the guy. Most women love the guy. But every woman's dream, he eats 9,000 calories a day. Yeah, he's huge. I mean, would that be – every woman's dream is just to eat with not having to gain weight or worry about it or just to have to eat it because you have to gain weight. Right. I mean, that would be great. So here's what he, he does. If he, ate, if he ate eight chicken breasts in one meal, his trainer would suggest that he wrapped three of them in bacon daily. Get the protein, so he get the added calories, yeah. mashed sweet potatoes, more pasta, fish, olive oil, and coconut oil in his cooking, and lots of avocados. Watt said he started crushing the avocados. Even though he kind of keeps his meal plan a secret, it would take 50 slices of bacon, 20 chicken breasts, and 13 whole avocados to reach 9,000 calories. I am so jealous. I mean, but who would want to eat eight chicken breasts in one sitting? That sounds awful. Well... You know how big he is, right? He's huge. He's, he's like, huge. What, six yes, four? he's big. Right here. But it says he's six foot five, 289 pounds. Wow. Right? Now, as Solid a, muscle. As a normal way of existing, mm-hmm. he's not going to maintain that weight. No. He's trying to maintain exactly. weight. Maintain. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Wouldn't it be bal- nice to have to eat to maintain your well, weight? You have to work out the entire day. I know. Yeah, you have he does to work out through- a lot. He does burn a lot of calories. That's his job. I know. Like if your job here, if it was, you know, you're constantly running for, you know, the entire time you're here, you'd have to eat more calories to maintain that. Which, yeah, that's why I just had a protein shake was all so I could have. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy, but he's also huge. He's, he's 6'5", huge. 289. Yes. Yeah, it said in February so. he was feeling like something was missing, that he just was hungry. And I'm thinking, wow, 9,000 calories. Something like a side of beef was missing. Yeah, a side he, of beef was definitely he missing. Needed that, he needed to add that to the daily intake. Or a whole family of chickens. Yeah, that's wow. Okay. Well, enough about sports, Terry. What do you have for us in the headlines? The U.S. Embassy in Cuba, now open. Ceremony being held today, the American flag has been raised over the embassy in attendance. Secretary of State John Kerry, first time 70 years a diplomat from the United States, is on that island. Uh, yesterday was Fidel Castro's 89th birthday. We forgot to wish him a happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday, yeah. Wonderful. Uh, apparently he is Castro, still alive. I mean, there are pictures, well, right? Yeah, he's okay. there. But he, he wrote, uh, like a, I think it was like a blog post mm-hmm. or put out some and sort know of it was him? edict. Well, there's him and his brother. They run the country. His okay. brother's the actual know, president. Right. Fidel's kind of in retirement. Yeah, mm-hmm. Castro got a little feisty concerning the decades of embargoes his nation has endured since the U.S. slapped them on the communist Cuba back in 1962. He said Cuba is owned owed compensation. He wants millions of dollars paid back to what they have done, what, what the U.S. embargo has done to his country. They've made this request before, and the U.S. just goes, um, no. 
We just chose not to associate with you. We didn't do anything to you. It's, you know, you could have made your choices, I guess. So that's always a, a fun topic when you talk about paying stuff back. Uh, Trump is uh, being our, he, he, if he's elected, if Donald Trump's elected president, he will be the fifth straight Ivy League president. Really? I didn't know in that. In the White House. Fifth straight. The fifth straight. His latest argument for his candidacy is that his Ivy League education, which he suggests gave him the right mindset to deal with trade rivals like China. He goes, I went to an Ivy League school. He went to uh, the University of Penn. Mm -hmm. He goes, it's the best in the world. That's the kind of thinking our country needs. That kind of mindset. The fact that is that kind of mindset or the thinking that he talks in circles. These are direct quotes. So he talks about how we need that kind of mindset. The next sentence he says, the fact is we need that kind of mindset. He's just talking... Filling so he space, needs that you know? mindset, sure. So he needs that mindset. He needs the mindset. He, he neglected to point out that George H.W. Bush, Barack Obama, the last five mm-hmm. went to Where these Ivy League schools. Sure. And he doesn't acknowledge that, you know, how how is that going to be any different than what they, you know. stupid. Isn't that his favorite word? They're stupid. stupid. Everybody's they're stupid. Everyone's dumb. So, yeah. So his Ivy League education is going to be the, the ticket. That's what's going to help him out. Also, oh, also, NBC Entertainment Chairman Bob Greenblatt had two words Thursday on whether uh, Donald Trump would return to... The Apprentice, if he doesn't make the White House. He said, absolutely not. <laughs> That'd be a nice consolation prize. Greenblatt said the show will, will be back next. It will not be back next season, but will return in the future with a new host. They're looking at all kinds of candidates, possibly having a woman take over the top spot there on that show. Interesting. Speaking of politics, did you see the, the story on Hillary Clinton? You know, she addressed the, the uh, students at the University of Buffalo. 30-minute speech talking about... Her $350 billion bailout plan for college graduates, Hmm. that 30-minute speech, she earned $275,000. And so someone tweeted, hey, Hillary Clinton talks about college debt when she charged a public university $270,000 for one speech. That $275,000 could have covered a year of tuition for 42 students. There you go. There you go. You got to love politics. Uh, You heard about the Godzilla El Nino. I did. Former, uh, the forthcoming El Nino may be among the strongest ever when it hits this winter, climatologists say. It may result in record storms. Some, ty- some scientists say that collectively, these atmospheric and oceanic features reflecting a uh, significant and strengthening of the El Nino, which is a warming of the water in the Pacific, which right. affects the West Coast's rain totals. And if the north northern United States get any, gets any snow, if it's a mild winter, a strong winter, mm-hmm. it all de- depends yeah. on these Why California needs the water, change. though. Not like this, Not like though. that. It could be, could be way too much, huh? Climatologist Bill Panzer said this. If it continues to build, this will have a tremendous impact, not only over North America, but over the entire planet. The last time this happened was... Was it 94, I think it was? Really? That long ago? On the West ago. Coast. And uh, what, Los Angeles had record rain for the, a month, one month total. It was a historical so record for them. Just complete flood because the water, the ground cannot absorb mm-hmm. that much water. San Francisco was flooded. The West Coast was kind of a mess because mm-hmm. of the amount of water that was dumped on them. Other places in the country were extremely dry. Right. It's cyclical, so. isn't it? It just seems like it just goes around in cycles. So it could be. The uh, Ukraine, back to Ukraine. We just talked mm-hmm. about Ukraine and their... Uh, Attempts raccoons. to weaponize raccoons. Mm-hmm. Ukraine website released a list of the country's alleged foes on Thursday. Donald Trump made an appearance in the top ten, snagging the number nine spot. The list categorized Trump as a Kremlin agent, which means he is seen as a supporter of Russia in international affairs. Trump's comments in June in an interview on Fox News, which Trump said he thinks he could work well with 
Russian President Vladimir Putin oh, likely yeah. prompted the rating. He's got a tremendous popularity in Russia. They love what he's doing. They love what he represents, Trump said. I will go over to Moscow in two years and I will tell you, I, will, I can get along with those people and get along with them well. You can make deals with those people. Obama can't. And then he goes off on that. <laughs> um, it's just kind of funny. Oh, and finally, a Pennsylvania man had a big beef with his brother over a Big Mac, and now he's facing assault charges. Mm. Thomas Vernes, 47, was arrested early Wednesday morning after he allegedly punched his older brother, Matthew, for eating three Big Macs and not saving one for him. Oh. Wow. It's, it's Having three huge... boys, that's, that's, that can be a problem. Police say Vernes sure. was so mad that he ransacked the home they shared in Union Township, knocking over furniture and appliances and throwing food. So yeah, he got that's, ma- that's so mad he immature, threw food. Yeah. Matthew suffered injuries to his right eye and left cheek, <laughs> oh, and his ear was cut during the assault. The police are continuing to investigate. But share your Big Mac. Uh, that's the rule. Yeah, that is a, just, a rule in our house. If you get a Big Mac, you have to share. That secret sauce, uh, you always have to share. It's your okay. Thank you, Terry. Coming up next, we're going to preview a couple of movies for the weekend. Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. He's going to join us to preview The Man from Uncle. And Sean the Sheep. That's all up after the break right here on the Matt Townsend Radio Show. show right here on BYU Radio. I'm Kathy Aiken filling in for Matt today. And I know this has always been one of Matt's favorite segments, and I'm looking forward to it myself. It's preview time with Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. Rod, uh, here to help us with the movies for the weekend uh, from a parent's point of view. Rod, happy Friday to you. Oh, happy Friday is right. Thank Isn't you, Isn't it great? Yeah, so glad to get to talk to you this time. Now, the last movie I saw was Mission Impossible. Loved it. Rogue Nation. I thought it was great. And then I watched the trailer from the first movie you're going to review today, The Man from Uncle, and the two had some real similarities. Tell us about the movie. Well, The Man from Uncle is another secret agent movie. And of course, if you're probably even a little bit older than me, which makes me feel so good because I just <laughs> barely remember The Man from Uncle, I think it ran from 1964 to 1968. And one of the unique premises of this movie, of course, that was in the height of the Cold War. And in the 1960s, Kathy, popular culture was absolutely obsessed with spy movies. And that's when we had Get Smart, and that's when the uh, James Bond movies were coming out. There was a ton of spy movies. But what made The Man from UNCLE a little bit different was it kind of had a little bit of an olive branch to it because the, the premise is there's an American spy and a Russian spy, and the two of them are brought together to work together in a very top secret way to be able to work against another organization that is a very mysterious bad group of people. And they were even more dangerous than how the Americans perceived the Soviets or how the Soviets perceived the Americans. So in a way, this was a, a concept about if there's an, how an even bigger enemy can bring two enemies together. And so that continues in this movie. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you talked about it being on television in the 60s. Do movies that are adapted from television, they, does it usually work well when they go to the big screen? Any, any historical information on that? 
You know, it's it's very hit and miss. Um, for the most part, it's miss. There has been uh, a lot of attempts to try and, uh, what we say, reboot television series into movies, and some of them have been dreadful flops. If you remember the Beverly Hillbillies and mm-hmm. Gilligan's Island yes. and all of those ones, like the movies just did not work. And Man from Uncle, I, I am concerned. They badly want to have a franchise with this, and when you get to the end of the movie, it's clearly obvious that they're that they're already planning on the sequel. And I don't know how well this will do. Part of the problem is, is because so few people are familiar with the original concept. Right. This is pretty much an origin story. And origin stories are always tough to launch as your first movie. But you have to spend about the first half of the movie just introducing the characters, understanding who they are and why they got to the point where they are. And then that leaves you roughly about, you know, maybe 45 to 60 minutes to do a little adventure so that we can see our characters in action. And in this particular adventure, uh, the American spy prior to meeting the Russian one. He is uh, working in East Germany behind the Iron Curtain. There's a woman, excuse me, a woman that he needs to capture because her father has been kidnapped and he's a nuclear physicist and Hmm. he's been kidnapped by this this bad organization and and so the Russians and the Americans are concerned that they're going to torture her father and get the information from him on how to build a nuclear bomb. So so that's essentially the setup but we've only got, you know, maybe 45 to 60 minutes after we introduce everybody to make that story work. The other problem with this film is you mentioned Mission Impossible. Incredible character, uh, chemistry between that group of people of actors and and, and actress in Mission Impossible mm-hmm. this movie is really lacking that inter-character chemistry it just kind of comes off it's it's very much a buddy movie for the first half and what a buddy movie is is when you have two people um, typically it's been men but we're starting to get some woman female female buddy movies but you've got these two guys who are very much the odd couple the American is very clean cut and uh, and he does things his way but the Russian does things his way and so a lot of it is the banter between the two of them it's funny at parts but after you go through it for about a half an hour you're starting to think okay guys get on with the story this is getting tedious yeah and I also noticed that it is kind of taking place back what was it in the 60s is, is that a good thing or would it have been better to kind of bring it up up to date today actually I really enjoyed that part of you, it that, it, thought, that it's back then Yes, okay. and it, it's just cool looking at the cars and, the, mm-hmm. and you know and the clothing and everything else. That part of it I really enjoyed. The concept is very good. I'm hoping that they can just do a little bit better with that character chemistry, get a better story for the next one, and hopefully, I mean, if you remember back to the first, I'm sorry, Kathy, to have no idea how old you are, but <laughs> the first yeah, Star Trek me. movie, the, <laughs> the first Star Trek movie that came out in the 1970s was dreadful because the most of the movie was reintroducing the characters and taking a tour of the ship, and everybody said, well, there's no way that this series is going to be able to last. Well, then the second Star Trek movie was The Wrath of Khan, which right. is still heralded as one of the best Star Trek movies made. Mm-hmm. So it can be done, and hopefully in the sequel they'll do a better job with this one. So what rating do you give uh, Man from Uncle? 
So we're giving it a C, and thank you. I should wow. remember that we are receiving this for parents. Yeah, C grade on this. Um, uh, parents, you can expect a fair, a fair amount of violence in this movie. And just really quickly, I need to describe one scene that was really the deal breaker for me. Uh, they have a Nazi doctor who um, is a, who is torturing the American spy. And while he's torturing him, he's talking about and showing him pictures of people that he tortured during World War II. Mm. And this is done in a comedic scene. And I thought that was very tasteless. So and I felt funny. like that was one place where the script just stepped over the line. Hmm. Okay, C rating then from The Man from Uncle. Okay, now number two, Rod, Sean the Sheep. This is a stop motion animated film. How do those usually do at the theater? Well, often they do very bad. But <laughs> oh, boo. I have to work that somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Ardman Ardman, uh, Productions or Ardman Studios, I guess it is, they're in Britain. And as far as I'm aware, they are the last studio that is still doing stop motion. Now, what's interesting is uh, they went over to computers, oh, about eight, nine years ago. They made a movie called Flushed Away. I really liked it. Everybody else hated it. And (laughs) it was done with computer animation Mm. made to look like stop motion. They've come back to their roots with this movie. This is true stop-motion animation. But what makes Shaun the Sheep very unusual is there is no dialogue. There is a a wonderful musical score. There are lots of sound effects in the film, but you won't hear one word uttered in this movie. And that's going to really, that that makes it a a tough sell. Oh, yeah. When I was actually, I took a friend to a movie last week for her birthday and ran into another friend who had just come out of that movie with her children. And I said, oh, how was the movie? And she looked at me. She didn't want her kids to see her reaction. It was it was like torture for her. She said her kids liked it, but the fact there was no dialogue was just horrible for her. I, I mean, I can't even imagine sitting through a, a movie. What is that, an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a bit, little better than an hour and a half, I believe. And, wow. you know, it's really tough. This is almost worse than trying to sell a movie with tub- subtitles in the United States. Oh, because sure. um, Americans typically, we don't like to read subtitles. And a silent film, now, I mean, we did we did have a silent film win the Academy Award just a few years back, but it still didn't do all that well in the box office, even after winning the Oscar. Uh, Shaun the Sheep, you know, in its opening weekend, it did less than $5 million. Oh, wow. Um, that, that's a telltale sign, isn't it? But interestingly, Foreign, it did $59 million. So, you know, it's, hmm. a, it's going to be a tough sell here in North America. Uh, but it seems to do, be doing reasonably well in Europe. And maybe being language agnostic will actually help it, um, you know, in many different foreign uh, countries. I don't know. But it is, it's a unique idea. And I really do enjoy Artman Animation. They have the other thing that may hold it back uh, in North America. Okay, especially the United States. I'm in Canada. And we still have this little kind of love of British humor in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I don't know that that extends as much into the United States, and Sean the Sheep is full of that kind of subtle British wit. Yeah. So what, what rating do you give that one? Uh, for Sean the Sheep, we gave it a B grade. Really not a whole lot to worry about. Our reviewer, Carrie Bennett, who is American, by the way, she didn't like it very much, but she <laughs> said, there's nothing in here really that will hurt your children, except it does have some potty humor. They still managed to put a little bit of, you know, the 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 potty kind of jokes and that type of thing in the film. Other than that, though, that's really the only thing parents have to worry about, except for maybe falling asleep. And forgive me if I missed you saying, Man from Uncle is rated what? Man from Uncle, we gave the C grade, but and it's, it's PG rated 13? PG-13. Okay, yes, and yes. Sean the Sheep, was it G or PG? 
Jeep is rated PG for PG. rude humor. Rude humor. And those humor. are potty okay. jokes I'm talking okay. about. Yes. <laughs> that stop animation, I can't even imagine that. That is so tedious. Any idea of how long it took them to put that together? I think it's been about three years. I mm. read somewhere that I think every day they can make four seconds worth of animation or something. So wow. it's, it's an incredible art form. I don't know if you've seen any of their other productions. They're, what they're really known for is a, um, a man and his dog team. They're called Wallace and Gromit. And right. I don't remember that. Did not see that. Before. And I, I understand that it was a good thing I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> At least from some people's perspective. Uh, actually, did it, you like it? Done, They've done very well. I like Wallace and Gromit in their short versions. Mm -hmm. They made about five half-hour episodes of Wallace and Gromit that I think are very, very funny. Yeah, I could handle that. Uh, Sitting in a movie theater for an hour and a half watching stop motion, I don't don't think it works very well. But, Rod, thank you so much. A couple of good movies to look for this weekend. So appreciate your insight on The Man from U.N.C.L.E. and Shaun the Sheep. And we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks so much. Thank you. Coming up next, our new segment called Matt Meets the Millennials. And since Matt isn't here, our very capable show producers will be making me look totally out of touch. That's coming up next on the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show for our favorite segment. Actually, it's a very new segment called Matt Meets the Millennials. And two of our show producers are here to quiz me, I guess, Liz Miller and Leanna Tan. Do you, guys, do you think it's any coincidence that after one show, Matt left and put me in charge after one time? You must have embarrassed him terribly. Going to count that as a win for us, definitely. <laughs> I think he was talking about a point system. Yeah? Yeah. We'll, okay. we'll have to put up a board in the studio, A good actually. idea. Good idea. Yeah. Okay, so this song, I asked uh, Mike Pond to find this song, and everybody knew who sang it but me, so that shows that I'm completely out of touch. Who's singing it? Who's singing it? I don't uh, know, because I didn't oh! like the song. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I don't I know, feel so out of touch. Mean, Mike, who is it? Rebecca Black. Oh, Rebecca Black. Rebecca right. Black. I just forget names all really fast. Okay. Yeah. No, I all over the news. Oh, Becky like Black. Five years yeah, I know. Ago. Her. She's so you say Becca Black. Oh, Becky <laughs> Black. Yeah. I'm not on Twitter. Okay. Truth Yeah, no Twitter. Yeah, no Twitter. Good for you. I'm glad you're not on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter either. Okay, ladies. So what have you got for me today? Well, um... We just feel that you are, you know, so wise. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, we, we feel like maybe there's not a huge difference between the millennials, you know. Maybe we, we can reminisce together. Okay, let's go. Maybe it's all I, a big misunderstanding. Okay, yeah. good. Let's see. But help us understand some okay. of the misunderstandings because okay. um, we were thinking about it and, you know, there are some differences between our day and your day. <laughs> Very many, yes. And uh-huh. all of that is about technology and so we were oh, kind of talking about it sure. and we were thinking how did you do it without the technology that we have today you know what <laughs> it was a fun life because we were all out we we're outside doing things we were playing we weren't so glued to it and that's what's so sad is i think when i see my boys uh, similar age to you that are on their cell phones constantly i just drives me crazy i thought you know it's really sad to me that you're so that takes up so much of the time when so much of it isn't real important yeah, I think that it does distract us, but I feel like we have a lot of advantages too. Like, for instance, GPS. How did Very you so. find addresses when you were traveling if you didn't have a GPS? You, you, that's a good question. You would, 
you would get it. Well, in Utah, as as you know, it's with the way the streets are, it's pretty easy with the north, south, east, and west to find where you're going. But when I'm Here's what I don't get is men never ask for directions. So I would always, my husband would never ask. So I would always have to ask for directions. And that's what you do. Oh, that is true, Mike. So that's very true. Ask you ask for, yeah. good for you. But yeah, GPS, that is definitely a, a biggie. That, for well, sure. Well, you know, even with a GPS, I still have to ask for directions. So. Do you? I think I'm an old soul. You mean if, if Siri doesn't give you the right directions, you're in trouble? Yeah, I'm yeah, technologically oh. challenged. What do you think, Liz? <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, okay, so I was in Germany for a while, and we had a GPS, and even with the GPS, people would give us different kinds of instructions, yeah. like when it was just something that was in your like your your foot path. I don't know the way huh. you could go with your feet. Uh-huh. <laughs> but like even then, people would be like, no, you go up this street, and you take a left, and you get up there, and they wouldn't be there, and you'd be like, oh, where am I supposed to go? And that person would say, oh, you're actually supposed to go back and take a right and then like walk in a zigzaggy fashion they were and just maybe playing like with twirl you. and then you'll get there. So <laughs> twirl. I'm, I'm waiting oh, for this to turn up yeah. on the No, technology does later. have advantages. There's no doubt about it. But I also I also love when I look back at what we did and how much fun we had and not worrying about, oh, my gosh, should I get an email? Did somebody text me? Did I get a like? I think that's sad. Yeah, I that's do. fair. Well, that's another question we had as well. Like how did you – coordinate with your friends and family without being able to text them mm-hmm. like how did you set up like, play dates or yeah if you're whatever? if you're like meeting up at a cafe or something mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of people mm-hmm. like you can't just text somebody like i'm standing over by the corner how yeah. did you find them we just used the telephone you know the li- landline in our phone and called somebody and you call somebody or else we usually just made the arrangements at school say hey do you want to go there tonight we're going to be there at seven you know this is another thing i find very sad so my oldest boy for his 16th birthday we have this big party we hire a dj right and there are so many kids in the basement and they're literally texting each other from across the room instead of getting up and going to talk to the person. <laughs> that is so foreign to me. I don't understand that. Do you find that kind of scary that maybe the you guys aren't going to be able to communicate very well? Yep. <laughs> yep. It's, you, yep. <laughs> Clearly we're experiencing malfunctions right now. But no, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because you kind of have this environment where people have a a persona on the internet of who mm-hmm. they are and yeah. you have kind of a chance to think through what you want to say so you have an, uh, an opportunity to be more articulate. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually get one-on-one with somebody, if you're not as funny, if you're not as personable because you just can't function. So you don't, you don't act problem. yourself. Is that true? You don't, you, you're afraid to act yourself because you may have come across as some, somebody different with social media? I try to be myself on social media, but I think some people feel more comfortable because you can't see the person. They feel like mm-hmm. they can show maybe, you know, a different mm. side of them. I think the sad part is when you're at home and instead of running up and telling your mom something, you just text her from downstairs from the basement. Because you, you can't walk upstairs. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. Come on, girls. Yeah, really. I mean, it's nice if you're sick. Let's say you broke both of your legs. Okay, then it's convenient. Right there, I mean, you go. And you're in the basement. That. Yeah, mom, I need a, I need a, you know, I need some soup or something. I get that. But the communication, that's that's. I think that's a. We have that advantage. I think our, my generation has a better time communicating for sure. But one of the advantages of having a cell phone and smartphones, you know, you always have the internet at your at your fingertips so you have that's very positive you you can search anything so you're wondering how did you like write a research paper or something if you couldn't just google something or you know that is definitely a plus oh yeah we had i mean i remember this is going to date me i think part of high school i I do with a a typewriter not even a computer a typewriter and if you made a mistake you had to use whiteout yeah so i know everybody's listening going wow she's old yeah what what is that (laughs) 
Uh, so that is, you know, when you figure to write a report, cut, cut and paste, and the simplicity of it is really an advantage. Or if you had to speak on Sunday at your church, and you just would get the magazine and have to write it, for, you know, either wow. on the typewriter or write it on a pad of paper, where now you can just look up the article online, much easier. Yeah, that is definitely a plus. But let me ask you this. There was this funny discussion I heard on TV the other day on um, Ha Ha. When you're texting, is that still in? And somebody was talking about hee-hee. I thought, I've never seen a hee-hee. Do you do hee-hee? I go hee-hee. You do hee-hee? Or, or I go tee-hee. tee-hee. You know, there's a new one. You know, give it a little twist. Tee-hee. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, because the people that were talking said, well, I've never done a hee-hee. I said, I've never seen that. But I guess ha-ha, that's no, still an, in? It's an art. It's it an is art an art. emoticons, I think. Is that it? There's so yeah. many emoticons now. You just got to figure out what. So which ones am I missing out on? What are the most popular ones? Oh, popular! You know, mm-hmm. you gotta go for the least popular. Actually, oh, the, the least, least popular, popular emoticons are the ones that have the most emotion. Okay, <laughs> so give me an example. Well, there's this one that, like, well, you got the shocked face that has the little, um, you know, like, I don't know. Things. Oh, so the emoji like his, thing? It, yeah, it looks oh. like his like uh, heads popping out. That one's fun. <laughs> oh my! Oh, that's that one. Okay, but what? No, LOL. Is that still? No. No, that that's gone? Died. That one's died. Okay, what's is taking it, its place? It should die. Sorry, oh, Leanna. This is news to Leanna. I'm too formal with texting. <laughs> I just I don't play the I don't play by the proper rules with emoticons. Like I don't know. Some of my favorite conversations with emoticons are when you just tell a story. Mm-hmm. And so you just have like right. a picture of a ship and like elephants, tigers, horses, yeah, lions, more bears, and then now. rain. Oh, and you're like, my. Oh, Noah. Oh, hey there. Yeah, yeah. Russell Crowe. Oh, yeah. You didn't have to type out. No, you just, yeah, okay. Yeah. So like I, my son, it's funny. If I, I'll, I'll, I'll type out like the whole thing instead of, you know, using simp- simplified whatever you guys do. And he'll go, Mom, just do this. So I do that. And if I don't add an exclamation point, he thinks I'm mad. So if I say, <laughs> what do you think of this? And I say, that's fine, period. Are you mad? Oh, yeah. What? Oh, no, I said that's fine. No, no, no. You leave off the period. Otherwise, oh. you sound really Oh, aggressive. you don't put a period. Oh, I've been learning this. Like, really? apparently the punctuation is an important <laughs> thing. You, you can't mess up on the punctuation. And don't forget the emoticon. I've been learning. Okay. Yeah, All right. you have to be careful. So like, no period flirty? after is that. No exclamation. What about exclamation point? Is that good? I think good? exclamation point. Okay. That's, yeah, those are okay. Good. They always All say right. happy. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do we have any more time, Mike? We had a time. Uh, ladies, thank you so much. That was very enlightening. I can't wait to hear what you talk to Matt about next week. Yeah, we'll put him in the hot, so, hot seat. Find something really good that really like embarrasses him or something, will you? Yeah. Always the goal. Okay. <laughs> yeah, always, yeah. We well, it. coming up next, it's time to talk to the experts at BYU Sports Nation. I think they're experts. That's next on the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. a little Taylor Swift and some style. Speaking of style, Spencer Linton and Brian Logan joining us now from BYU Sports Nation. You guys got style, right? Um, I have style. I know you do, Brian. Spencer, it's, what do you think? Uh, Spencer's not here right now. Um, <laughs> He's I'm leaving just, you alone. Well, I'm doing the show today by myself. Oh, you're so. by yourself. I, yeah, I actually uh, locked Spencer out of the building Oh, good morning. idea. Yeah. So, so they uh, give you extra pay for that? Uh, no, they actually uh, uh, remove some of, of my pay when I'm doing the show by myself. So that's, that's the, that's <laughs> they the cut some pay. Yes. Uh-oh, that's, yes. not yeah. a, that's not a good thing. <laughs> hey, let's get in. Now, Brian, you know about the, the BYU 50, right? 
Uh, yep. Okay. I'm going to just talk about this story real quickly and get your reaction. So let me set it up for the listeners. So the BYU 50 program is for 50 straight days leading up to the season opener at Nebraska. A box of BYU swag is put in each state in the country. So they put a picture of where the box is on social media. And basically the box is put in a place where people would recognize if you live there. But whoever finds it first... They win the swag, and they take pictures and put it up on social media. Well, Saturday, here in Utah, a box was put in American Fork, which which isn't very far here from, from BYU. Amy Miller from Highland, Utah, which is also close, she saw where the box was. She saw the picture up on social media. She knows where it is. She hurries to the spot, and she's running to the box. I'm assuming there's other people running to get the box as well, and she falls and breaks her arm. Yes. Not to be denied. <laughs> She gets up, you know, just like any good football player, right, Brian? She gets up, runs to the box, she gets the swag, she wins, and then she looks at her arm. I guess it looks kind of like an S, and she figures, you know, I think I needed to go to the hospital and get this fixed. Now, that is a fan, is it not? That is a fan, and she actually stayed around and took a picture before going to the hospital. So, uh, you know, a lot of the the coaches and, and, you know, a lot of the, 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 the players around, uh, just the community heard about the story, and uh, they, you know, everybody was tweeting at her, and Tom Homo was tweeting at her, and they're like, you know, whatever we have to do, young lady, uh, to help out, we'll do that. We got to get you tickets. If you want to come to some practices, whatever you need from us, we will give you. Is that just awesome? So, so my son runs in last night. He's a huge BYU fan. He finds out on he sees on a Snapchat how uh, Bronco and the entire team they went to Amy's house and presented her and her family with five season tickets for the year. That I thought that was just awesome. I mean, to see all those players there, that was really I thought a great event. Oh, hey, Kathy, I've joined the conversation. Oh, hey, now. you didn't get locked out. You found the key? Listening. Yeah, I was just quietly listening to <laughs> oh, Brian shoot. explain all that. Well, Kathy, Brian, well, I guess Kathy, you get a little pay I, I now. Like, you, don't get, you don't get docked pay, so well, that's, that's good. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I told uh, my fellow uh, minions to unlock the door for Spencer. <laughs> once, you, once you talked about the pay, I remembered that you know I, I have a, a, a wife. You and have a bill to and pay. A, and, a, and a baby on the way. Yeah, so, yeah. that's good. Okay, okay here, here's the thing about uh, this, this story that is unbelievable. Okay. Okay. So for one, when Amy posted that she broke her arm, right. it was the assistant coaches that all started tweeting back at her. Guy Holiday, the receivers coach, Mark Atuai. Guys like, look, we need we need to have you in the stands. I don't know if you have tickets for the Boise State game, but you need to be there. Well, Bronco saw all of this going on, called his athletic marketing coordinator, David Almodova, and said, we got to do something about this. Is and that so awesome? then they lined up all of this, gave her season tickets, gave her a T-shirt for every day of the week, sang the fight song, and then she tweeted out and said, I think I might pass out. The whole BYU football team just showed up on the lawn. <laughs> oh, my word. When my son showed me that on Snapchat, I thought that was – what a great gesture. I mean, what a great idea, that BYU 50. That, I think, is just such a good idea. Now, speaking of good video, did you see uh, the video of the Notre Dame player that was modeling the new uniforms? No. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I did, did it. I did. I did. Well, I saw some clips of it, and I saw some tweets of it. Um, yeah, so Coach Kelly, they're in a team meeting, uh, uh, Spencer, okay. and so they bring this guy in, and uh, he's showing the new uniforms, and Coach Kelly's pointing out different aspects of the uniform, and he said, you know, this guy's just a model. Uh, he's just, not only is he modeling the uniforms, but he's just a model player. He does everything we ask, and, and he goes, and by the way, uh, we're, we're giving you a scholarship, and 
it was so all the whole players just erupted. They ran and hugged him, and and I thought, you know, that that's what this is all about. These kids, and, and it made me think of Nate Carter, you know, BYU, and thinking, God, I hope that happens to him. You know, where they Broncos uh, surprises him something like that with a scholarship. It was great. It was a great video, don't you think, Brian? Oh yeah, de- definitely. I mean, it, that's it, it's crazy because when you, I was a guy on scholarship, and when. Bronco announces that you know your 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 player is going to get on scholarship for for doing you know everything that they've asked. Um, it's it feels like you got a scholarship too. You know, yeah. it's somebody that that you practice with, you you sweat with, and you go through the same things. And and do they that, make it a big deal? I mean, do they let everybody know? Uh, no, Bronco, Bronco does it in a way where he he tells the player you know one on one. He brings him in and says you know good job, and this is you know you're on scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's 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 what's what's cool about Bronco is when he offered me my scholarship, he made me read the actual letter uh, and and what I was going to be given. So I'm assuming he said he does that with every player. So I'm assuming even with the walk-ons, he brings them into the room and makes them read the letter uh, as well. That's neat. Uh, and so it's but but we end up finding out you know pretty soon. Uh, afterwards and it's just a it's a great feeling for somebody like that and usually the, the rule is when you are a walk-on if you're in the the the, the too deep uh you usually get a, a a scholarship offer i know there may be some 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 other uh uh issues that may not uh you know uh, allow that to happen for whatever reasons mm-hmm. but usually that is the case and, and nate is looking like he is now in the too deep since Jamal's oh that's great leaving. right Right. Oh, that would be great. Okay, so BYU's first scrimmage coming up tomorrow. What do you guys expect to see? Well, today we're talking about the dynamic duo at the receiver position, Nick Kurtz and Mitch Matthews. Mitch won't play tomorrow in the first scrimmage. He's the most reliable receiver. Mm -hmm. So we're looking very closely at what Nick Kurtz can do. He was injured in fall camp last year, but he was the fall camp MVP. And so, you know, heaven forbid that he gets injured again. But Nick Kurtz is all of a sudden becoming like the go-to guy for Taysom Hill in this fall camp because Mitch is Mitch out. Mitch isn't there, yeah. What, now, I know he had uh, hernia surgery, so when do they expect him back at practice? Mitch said he'll be back at practice next week. Next week, okay, okay. That's good news for Taysom, obviously. That's hey, something to look for, for sure. Yeah, and we talked yesterday uh, about the suspensions uh, for on the BYU side for that opening game in Nebraska. Well, now I guess five Cornhuskers are going to be suspended, and one of those is a defensive starter. What do you guys know about that? that yeah there's, there's not really too much um out right now with the specifics of, of the names but uh I, I, from what i've seen and, and heard uh the biggest fear is that it, it's somebody on the defensive side just mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of depth there not a lot of experience and so they're hoping it's not one of their two stud uh defensive players one i believe is on the the, the defensive line and one is on uh, the the uh, uh, one is a linebacker, so they're they're really hoping and praying it's not one of those guys. Mm, yeah. um, but uh, it, it was interesting when I was doing some research. It sounds like uh, Coach Mike Riley didn't want it to be announced the way it it did, and he kind of apologized for that. Um, so it sounds like he may have said something to somebody outside of the program, and then they oh, and that's how that it got out. Yep. Okay. Well, guys, what's on your show today? Well, along with uh, anything and everything relevant to BYU sports, um, <laughs> especially on, on the football front, a uh, couple of guys at the USA Volleyball level doing work representing BYU Volleyball, uh, Ben Patch and Jake Langlois will tell you what they did. Number 19 BYU Women's Soccer opens their season, an exhibition tomorrow night. That'll be live on BYU TV, so we'll touch on those things as well as uh, a lot of football. 
Oh, fantastic. It's Mitch Matthews versus Nick Kurtz. There or we go. Spencer Linton versus Brian Logan. There we go. So. Oh, that'll be a fun, fun duo. A duo. We can't wait to see it. Hey, guys, thanks so much. Spencer, Spencer Linton, Brian Logan, BYU Sports Nation. That's coming up in just a little bit. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks, Kathy. First, however, we're going to go to our hero of the day. I know Matt always likes to end it this way. So Mark Ingraville, a Roville, a Roland, excuse me, Park Police officer, reached into his own pocket to help a mother of six who had been caught stealing last week. So this is in Kansas City. Officer Mark Engreville was called to a Walmart in response to a shoplifter. When the officer arrived at the Walmart, he found Sarah Robinson along with her six children in the parking lot, and three of them were barefoot. Ingraville realized the $300 that had been stolen contained diapers, children's shoes, and baby wipes. And he told Ingraville, or she told the officer that she was homeless and that they were living in her car and on occasion just maybe renting a one-room bedroom in a stranger's house in Kansas City. And she cried as she told the officer the story and said how her husband had died a few years back in an accidental drowning. Well, the officer looked down at the girl's feet and noticed they were dirty and immediately rushed into the Walmart, picking up diapers and wipes, and sent Robinson's 16-year-old daughter to pick out shoes for her sister. After that story went public, the Roland Police Department received more than $6,000 in donations for Robinson and her family. And Terry, it's always nice to hear good positive stories about the police. You know, it seems like so many stories in the last several months have been negative, so it's really nice to give them a shout-out and someone that did something really, really wonderful. It it is kind of a fault of... The news, in mm-hmm. a sense, that what they end up covering happens to end up being a negative thing. The right. positive thing is probably what happens more often than I not. I think you're right. And right. that's why people are not necessarily motivated to care as much. Right. But when it's negative, people get angry and they are motivated by that emotion. Yeah. And that's why they watch. And that's why the media covers things the way they do. And you know what? I can promise you the majority of the people would prefer to hear the positive story than that negative story any day of the week. But would they watch? I think so. Because pe- I'm not saying the whole thing people has have, to be negative, the whole, tried, whole newscast. They've tried to go positive, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work as well. Well, when you see the numbers on, well, at least in local television, people aren't watching like they used to. They're no. either watching cable or they're getting it off their device. I mean, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely changed. But it's so nice that, you know, we're able to end the, story on a posit- or the show on a positive story, someone doing something good, especially a police officer. I mean, they put their lives on the line every day, and uh, good for him. That was great. How often do you travel? Uh, out of the state, out of yeah, the country. Yeah, like get on an airplane, oh, go somewhere. Just a couple times a year. A couple times a Maybe. year. Do you ever lose your luggage? Very rarely. The one time we did, we, of course, it was taking our three children to Disney World. Our luggage didn't make it. It was the red-eye flight, and we're going to Disneyland the next day, so we had to go to Disneyland in our same clothing, and it was so hot and humid, it was miserable. Oof. But that's the only time. Well, as you know, baggage check fees are rising, yes, depending on the poundage yes. of your, your luggage. Right. And companies are now are popping up where you can send your luggage, and sh- you ship your luggage to your location rather than take Put it with it on you on the plane. plane. Good idea. Well, it's What's about, the cost of that? It's about $20 more right now. But you know you're going to get your luggage. But you know you're going to get your luggage. Oh, that's a good idea. Now, as the check bag fees can continue to rise, it'll probably even out at some point. Yeah. And a shipping service would make more sense than sending it on the airplane. Well, the the airlines will just find another way to get us, right? That's right. They always do. Okay, Terry, thank you so much. Mike Pond, thank you so much for running the board. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on the Matt Townsend Show. I appreciate Matt letting me sit in his big chair for the last couple of days. He'll be back on Monday. It's the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Have a great weekend.